106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Here, let me show you. Constitution of the United States. Now, we had to memorize the preamble of that. I still remember it. You do? Yeah. Here, I'll show you. Hold the book on me. Okay. All right, go ahead. Constitution of the United States. <clears throat> well, just give, give me the first word and then I'll, I know the rest. Okay, we. We. We? We. Are you sure? I'm looking right at it. Oh, we. We! The. We the. We the. People. People. We the 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 people of the United <coughs> Flag? Breathe. Mm. Wind. Mm. Wait. Mm. Star! States. States! We the people of the United States. In order. In order. To form to a form a more perfect. Perfect you. To form a more perfect you. Union. 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 In order to form a more perfect union. As S. Ta. Ta. Establish. 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 Just. Establish just. Uh, test. Test. Justice. Establish justice. Ensure domestic Ensure tranquility. tranquility. Provide for the common, common defense. defense. Promote, Promote the, the general, general welfare. welfare. And secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity to ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. You want to run through that again, or do you think you got it? I got it. Good. You learn something, you learn it. Hostages Radio. This is our 23rd episode, and we're doing weekly episodes here. And uh, this should be dated the September 7th, 
2019 episode. So welcome. Happy you're listening. If you're the first time visitor, I <clears throat> hope you like it. If you don't, gosh, there's so many options. Just go out there and find something you really like. Life's too short to uh, listen to something that causes you all kinds of heartburn and uh, doesn't fit in with your your view of life if you're you're hardcore something something but if you're kind of searching to what's going on in this world and you're trying to figure out what's up maybe listen and you might listen learn a few things and if not you could uh, like uh, one of the listeners the other day shot me a uh, email and said oh I think you need some information about this and that and so I called him up and we talked so maybe you have some information for me and if you do, you can connect with me pretty easily. Uh, this is No Hostages Radio, so if you just go to Lou, L-O-U, at nohostagesradio.com, you can send me an email. <clears throat> if you want to do text and save going on uh, you know, on the web, to send a text, you could just do that at 530-713-1838, 530-713-1838. And you can uh, catch me that way as well. So you can, uh, you found us somehow. Some of you may be using a podcast uh, source where you get your your podcast. Found us at No Hostages Radio. And some may have heard about our website, which is nohostagesradio.com, which also includes not only the podcast, but the uh, articles I write <clears throat> for a local uh Northern California weekly called the Territorial Dispatch or Territorial Dispatch. You can go online and read that every week if you wish, territorialdispatch.biz. You can read it just like looking at the full page of the paper and flip the pages, etc. Um, or you could just get my articles at the website I mentioned. So I think that's all the introductory comments. Uh, we're located in Northern California. That's where we're broadcasting from, up in Yuba County. That's uh, north of Sacramento. We just that's just south Sacramento County, just south of Yuba. And then we have Sutter to the west, and Nevada to the east, and Butte to the north. Uh, rural up here. If you're out out of state and you're just listening to this, you think, oh, I've never been. You know, usually I go to California, go to Southern California, and visit uh, places like Disneyland or San Diego, and those are beautiful areas of California. Northern California is very rural, very different. It's almost like you go to another state. In fact, if I go to Southern California and people say, oh, where are you from? I have to like mention a number of coordinates before they finally get it because it's almost like we're a different state. And uh, we actually need to be up here because we don't have any representation at the state capitol. And our needs up here are different than the urban areas of, of San Diego, San Francisco, Los Angeles. They have unique needs. We have unique needs. And the politicians that make the decisions for the state are primarily from those urban areas because of population the population determines how many representatives they get. We have very few. We have lots of miles, square miles, and few representatives. Few population, few representatives. So uh, we don't get our needs met up here, and we would like to split off. It's called the State of Jefferson Movement. We would like to split off, say, the top 20 counties in the state, uh, and that would be their own choosing. Not everyone has to go. They could always stay 
with the state of, state of California. But many up here want to start and have a very small government, very few employees, and to contract everything else out and have a lot of rights and few government regulations. Start all over, right? Because we don't have any confidence that we can correct the many uh, problems in the state of California, even though we're making some effort at it. So you may be from, uh, I think the second most uh, number of listeners, I'm told by Tanner Martis, who keeps track of these things for us at uh, No Hostages Radio. He does the uh, techie work, thankfully, from his home in Texas. Uh, so he, he mentions that the second state that uh, listens to us most, people from over in Missouri, and that's because I have a friend over there that moved from here. He's a displaced person from California and decided it's time for us to relocate. And uh, he did it just in time, actually. But he has put the word out over there, so we got a few uh, number of listeners in Missouri, then Idaho, and then it kind of scatters out from there. So uh, I was, this week has been a big week. You know, every time there's a, a mass shooting, there's uh, the, the liberals scream, the reason we have mass shootings or people get killed uh, is, is because there's uh, guns out there. And uh, this, this uh, about two weeks ago now, <clears throat> we had a young lady that was raised here, wonderful person from a wonderful family, <clears throat> who relocated to Washington, D.C., was out walking a dog for a friend, and a person came out of an apartment, came down and stabbed her to death. Uh, we're still using knives at our, all our homes, but, but he stabbed her to death. So the, the, the nonsensical logic or illogic of this uh, is that what we need to do is remove all implements of destruction from people. Our forefathers may have just used a hatchet with a rock on the end or a boulder. I had a lady and I was teaching an anger management class in Yuba County Jail one day and I went around the room asking if people had an anger problem and if they ever used violence as a result of anger and one said, yes, I used a, a rock and I hit my husband in the head. I thought, oh, well, I, I don't know, maybe we should ban rocks. But um, I saw this statistic, it said 10,874 people were killed by drunk drivers in 2017, and in that same year, 403 were killed by rifles. And Walmart chose to stop selling rifles. Walmart still sells alcohol. I want you to hold that thought. Uh, it's interesting as, as we pick and choose uh, the things that we think are horrific. 10,874 people killed by drunk drivers in 2017, 403 by rifles. Walmart stopped selling rifles but continues to sell alcohol. It's an interesting thing. I went to the gym yesterday. I tried to go to the gym, but I fall off. I'll use a Salvation Army term. I fall off the wagon once in a while, and I, I, I get busy doing other things, and I come up with all kinds of wonderful excuses how to not take care of myself, and I just get busy, 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 and then all of a sudden I say, oh, I need to go to the gym and get back in the routine because my doctors tell me, Lou, you need to get in the gym, dude. So I try to, I tell people, and I tell people in the jail when I speak there, I surround myself with professionals that keep me in my lane, doctors, 
mechanics, dentists, pastors. They try to, because I need all the help I can get. So I was going in the gym yesterday and I ran into a, a, a friend. In fact, we go to church together. And I said, hey, you're back. He used to work there and then he left. And he went to work for a sporting goods store for over seven years. And I said, why did you come back? He said, you know, Lou, he said, I loved where I worked. <clears throat> and um, in fact, he, he said, I gave him three weeks notice because I felt so bad leaving, but he just said I couldn't take it anymore. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, Lou, the, the, the laws on ammo are so ridiculous that uh, he said, I was just tired of filling out government reports every time a person wanted to come in and buy some shells or bullets. And you have to fill out a report and do a background check on every person, every time, right? And he said, uh, I think he just made a general statement. I don't think he counted everybody or took a survey, but he said, and he said, I got tired of half the people being rejected because they weren't in the system with this gun. So if you're not, if your gun that you're getting the bullets or ammo for, if, if, it's, if your name isn't in the system with that firearm, then you don't get to buy those bullets. I, I just thought this is unbelievable. Uh, and I, I hear more and more, I run into friends who said, I'm leaving, I'm moving to Tennessee, I'm moving to Missouri, I'm moving here, I'm moving there, because I, I, don't, I don't want them, I don't feel it's right to restrict my access to firearms. We, my wife, or the other guy I ran into the other day, said my wife and I like to shoot. We like to target practice. So now we're going to restrict and, and basically the liberals just keep at it, keep at it, keep, keep at it until they find a way to run people, to take away people's rights. And so if they can't take away your guns, they take away anything that can go in the gun or make it so painful that they're going to make a criminal out of you by selling ammo, like uh, bootlegged ammo, right? Like the same thing they did, they bring truckloads, 52-foot Tra truck and trailers into New York State from other states that where you can buy cigarettes cheap because they don't have all this New York taxes and they bootleg them and bring them in there. So now we have to ha have a whole new group of law enforcement officials called ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. It's actually more than that now, but I'll just use the old term ATF. And they go and they arrest people for tobacco, adults that want to smoke tobacco. Same thing is going to happen here where people are going to buy cases and cases and cases, truckloads of ammo, bring it into somewhere in the United States and, and distribute it, and there'll be an underground distribution system. I just know it will happen. And people will go to prison for doing something that our founding fathers felt it was a fundamental right that government should never tamper with. But now we're, we're, we're basically at odds. We have a tyrannical government. That's what we have right now. So my friend, it caused him to leave his place of employment. He just said, Lou, I just didn't want, I spent all day, it was just, instead of selling fishing gear and hunting gear and camping gear, I'm filling out paperwork, 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 and people are getting frustrated to me because I won't sell them the ammo. Is that crazy or what? So anyway, it was my first personal experience with this whole ammo thing, because I, I, I have guns, but I don't really shoot much. I'm too busy. So now they got Walmart on board. 
and pretty sad. I stumbled across a guy, I can't even remember how I stumbled across it now, his name's Armando Valladeras. And uh, in fact, I ordered his book and uh, I'm hoping it'll get here within a week or so. I want to read his book. He's a Cuban um, political resistor who spent 20, 20 to 25 years of his life in, in prison, starting when he was in his 20s. He used to work for the Castro. He was employed in government. And then he, he lost favor with the Castro regime and it was put in prison and forced, among other things, to eat excrement, feces, unbelievable. He wrote a book called Against All Hope. I'm, I have it on order. I'm looking forward to read it. In it, it says, just as, in it, I'm going to quote something from you, from it, for you. Just as there is a very short distance between the U.S. and Cuba, there is a very short distance between a democracy and a dictatorship where the government gets to decide what to do, how to think, and how to live. And sometimes your freedom is not taken away at gunpoint, but instead it is done one piece of paper at a time, one seemingly meaningless rule at a time, one small silencing at a time. Never allow the government or anyone else to tell you what you can or cannot believe or what you can or cannot say or what your conscience tells you to have to do or not do. If that doesn't describe what's going on in California, we're the head of the spear on socialism slash communism right here, and the rest of the country is following behind, depending on which state you're in. Some states are more like California, and some are a long ways from California, and hope to God you don't come this way. It's typical of socialist, socialist leaders to talk one story and live another way. So when you look at people like Bernie Sanders, who people wonder, what did he ever do with his life? How did he ever make any money? He owns today three homes, but he's the guy who tells you that uh, you shouldn't be rich, right? Joe Biden owns numbers of homes. He rents a house for $20,000 a month and owns, this says a couple others. Barack Obama and his wife Michelle own a few houses. The recent house they bought in Martha's Vineyard, actually the, the property, you can see the house from the ocean, but the property ends at the, at the shoreline, which I was kind of shocked. It's a $15 million compound. And Barack was the one trying to convince us that the oceans were going to rise so much because of global warming that they were going to flood out all these cities. Now, the interesting thing is that Americans have been lulled to sleep through a horrible education system and propaganda to believe, on one hand, that global warming is going to flood the coastlines of America, right? We have a lot of coastlines in America, right? Down all across the south, up the east coast, up the west coast. And some of those on LSD think there's some at the north. But they don't 
they don't seem to look at the real estate people and the bankers of the world who have no problem selling property right on the coastline and financing it. In other words, they, the banks are giving millions of dollars to people like Barack Obama, if he needed to borrow, I don't think he needs to borrow any, but they're giving millions of dollars for development and they're hoping to get their money back by monthly payments, right? Why would they loan on oceanfront property if, it, if the tides are going to go up six, eight, ten feet and going to flood in and flood out city, why would you do that? You know, people, you need to connect the dots and realize this has been a sham from the beginning. So you have Barack Obama and Michelle Obama saying, at some point, uh, money, you got plenty of money. You need to get rid of it, share it with others. So these three, Biden, Sanders, and Obama, lecture the average Americans on income inequality, but then they're the ones that have the $20,000 a month rent or the $15 million place on the coast, plus two others. I don't, I don't know if you remember this uh, brownstone, I think they call it a brownstone mansion right near the, uh, right near the, not too far from the White House that he was actually going to build a wall around. In fact, it's even more incredible than that. He, you can't even drive down the street near where the Barack Obama mansion is in Washington, D.C. They have it, they're those big cement barriers out there, right? So you say, oh, we don't want a wall along the border, but I want my entire street. You can't even, other neighbors can't even get in the street without permission. So it's interesting how the socialist leaders always live, as they say, high on the hog, and everybody else uh, gets hog slop, right? That's how that works. When I was going to college, I tried college for a while and then dropped out, but uh, when I was going to college, there was a book uh, called The Population Bomb. And this is one of the premier professors, I believe he was at, I think he's been at Stanford and UC Berkeley. But he and his wife wrote the population bomb, and actually one of the assistants, his assistants ended up being the science czar for Obama many years later. Wrote the population bomb that said in the 70s it was already too late. There was going to be mass famine throughout the world. There was impossible to feed the world. Back then the communist Chinese ran their food system like they run their politics and they couldn't feed their people, not because they had too many people, but because they couldn't figure out that people raising their own food did a lot better than the government raising food. And so there was starvation in China. Uh, Russia had some problems as well. But they predicted there was going to be global famines and starvation. It never came to pass. And that was when there was just over 200 million people on the earth. And now we have, uh, sorry, uh, not 200 billion, but a little over 2 billion people. And uh, now we have like 7 billion people. So uh, I, I was looking at some population uh, ske schematics, graphs, but you know where they, well, I won't get into all the details. I don't want to waste too much time. There's a lot to talk, to talk about today. But uh, so with 7.5 billion on the earth, China and India are almost in a tie. Uh, and the United States is third, Indonesia is fourth. But it's interesting with 30% of the earth 
being land and 70% water, not many people are living on the water, few are, um, there's still, when I flew over the, I've flown many times and trained and bust around the world. And what shocked me when I first started doing that was people, people aren't everywhere. You, you'd think with the population bomb people talking that there'd just be people, they're just people everywhere. They're, they're just people running everywhere like ants. But they aren't. They're just like you, you can get in a train, go across China, and you just go for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and never see hardly anybody. So um, people that look into these things say that uh, you could put all 7.5 current billion people in Texas and still each person would have 2.29 acres a piece. Now, I don't know how much you live on. I live on a tiny little postage stamp plot in Marysville. I do not have 2.29 acres. But if you took every person and put them just in the state of Texas, not in the United, from the United States, all over the world, you put them all in Texas, you'd have 2.29 acres. Uh, that, that is an, an amazing situation. If you didn't want to put them in Texas, but you just wanted to divide up the 30% land of the Earth landmass amongst all the people of the of the Earth, forget about geo, you know the the uh, national boundaries, 197 countries. Forget about all that. Just say we're going to give every person an equal share of the Earth, not the not the water, just the Earth. Each person could get three quarters of a square mile. So then, when American socialists start talking about moving you and letting the California be rewilded and moving you to the city into stack and pack apartments because we're just we're running out of room it's totally a lie we're running out of water it's totally a lie we're running out of food it's complete lie we're feeding the whole world because of capitalism and free enterprise where it doesn't work it's because of dictators who steal everything or communists or socialists that's just the way it is we're going to come right back we're going to play a clip about andrew mccabe and another clip from the macaulay family uh we're gonna i i had a chat with jake macaulay institute on the constitution and the american view and we're going to start playing some of his clips here and because i want to promote people getting some educate education on the Constitution. You'll hear from Jake and one of his sons. He's got Josh and, and I don't know all his family, but he's got, no, he's got two at least, Josh and uh, Dominic. So you, his sons are, are right in on this whole uh, broadcast uh, operation that they have. Institute on the Constitution, Jake said this week, he said, Lou, you can go online and we're doing free online constitutional courses right now. So we'll be right back. Uh, listen to these, and I'm just going to take a sort of water. I ain't got no home, I'm just a roaming round. Just a wandering worker, I go from town to town. And the police make it hard wherever I may go. And I ain't got no home in this world anymore. Disgraced former deputy FBI director and Clinton machine beneficiary, Andrew McCabe, 
may be in the final stages of sliding into an inescapable vat of deep yogurt as federal prosecutors continue mulling his fate. His lawyers have met with various federal legal reapers to try and dissuade them from indicting Dandy Andy for lying about leaking. McCabe reportedly lied four times, three of them under oath, about his involvement in pushing his special counsel, Lisa Page, to blab to the Wall Street Journal about FBI strife in the Clinton Foundation investigation. You might remember Page as Peter Strzok's unrequited lover, whose hell fury helped bury both Andy and Peter. Loose lips create paper trails. So it wasn't hard for then-director James Comey and subsequent FBI investigators and the inspector general to comb through the emails and texts to find McCabe had indeed sent his messenger to kickstart the insurance policy. So Andy McCabe told someone to leak to the Wall Street Journal about disagreements in the ongoing Hillary investigation. What's the big deal? Ask Gordon Liddy what's worse, the cover-up or the crime? Because he'll crush your head like a ripe lime and squirt your brains all over his salad. It's the cover-up. And being a button man, McCabe knew better than to lie to his ilk about being the leak source. McCabe reportedly lied to Comey, FBI investigators, the inspector general's office, who grilled him not once but twice in 2017, and he kept changing his story. That's why the FBI's Office of Professional Responsibility re recommended his firing as A.G. Jefferson Beauregard Sessions followed through and swung the axe. Michael Flynn lied to FBI agents when he wasn't under oath, and he was charged with the felony. George Papadopoulos also fibbed when he changed his story during talks with the feds. You can't lie to the FBI. This is a given, but that also goes for those who take the oath, wear the badge, and ruin people's lives for doing the very same thing. If McCabe skates, it will be sadly understood there are two distinct versions of justice in this country, one for vulnerable schmoes and another for people with access to money and power who are essentially above the law. Andrew McCabe has sued the FBI and DOJ, saying his firing was politically motivated and carried out as a retaliatory battering ram. Just because the president hates you doesn't give you the right to skirt the law, especially when you're the guy who's trusted to enforce it, and that's the memo. Very few Americans will remember the following historical facts regarding black American gun ownership in America. The first task of the Democrat-controlled Ku Klux Klan was to disarm the black population in the South. It was citizen militias that repelled white mobs who were attacking black neighborhoods in many northern cities in the days before Reconstruction. On at least two occasions, those militias were composed entirely of black gun owners. During the freedom struggles of the 1960s, organized black militias in at least three southern states protected civil rights workers of all races. Recently, Ken Blackwell, the former Secretary of State in Ohio, wrote, Tragically, despite this heritage of responsible, effective use of firearms, equal citizenship has frequently been denied to black Americans through the use of gun control laws. Such laws were used to keep firearms out of the hands of African Americans, to deny their very equality as human beings, from the earliest colonial days through the end of Jim Crow in 1965. Blackwell continued, I would argue that even today, blacks continue to suffer disproportionate harm from gun control laws as major cities deny legal firearms to the residents of high crime urban neighborhoods. I completely agree, Mr. Blackwell. I am honestly perplexed at the level of evil represented in recent and past shootings in America. It is senseless, violent hate without a mask. The struggle to protect the innocent from armed aggressors is one every American, regardless of party affiliation, should be part of. 
In many instances, anti-gun politicians use religion to excoriate Second Amendment supporters with phrases like, how can you as a Christian stand for this kind of lawless behavior where people have easy access to guns and kill others? It doesn't make sense. You ought to be more for gun control if you're a Christian. These hypocritical assertions come from many who believe the act of murder against a black American is okay so long as the child is unborn or an infant. This is driving me crazy because I can't even wrap my head around this nefarious, illogical absurdity. Many black political leaders and so-called non-Eurocentric political leaders should consider an overhaul of their disdainful thinking of the Second Amendment. Their support of government infringement of the right to bear arms is violating the Constitution and robbing black Americans of the ability to defend themselves, demoting them to second-class citizenship. As seen in every single mass shooting, the government is completely incapable of protecting citizenry from these kinds of attacks. If the people do not protect themselves, there is no protection. All gun control laws do is fight or obstruct the people from protecting themselves. Our founding fathers dedicated our constitution to preserve the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. The Second Amendment was a part of their way to ensure that we can accomplish this, regardless of our color. To quote Mr. Blackwell again, any political party that undermines those rights is making the minority community most vulnerable. Law-abiding Americans deserve the right to defend themselves. I believe today we need control of our leaders and we need to make sure that they advocate, endorse, and sponsor the protection of all Americans' God-given right to life, liberty, and property. This is Jake McCauley and Joshua McCauley with the Institute on the Constitution bringing you The American View. Like a tree planted by the water, I shall not be moved. All right, thank you for the little break there. I feel better. Hope you enjoyed those clips. And uh, that clip I thought was great that the uh, Macaulay's did on don't take guns away from the black community. A little different story, right? Even though you hear. 90% of black murders are committed by blacks, black on black crime. But it's a refreshing little uh, take on the attempt of Democrats to take away guns from black people back in the day, right? When they started the Ku Klux Klan. I wanted to mention uh, just a couple catch up things from previous weeks. I got an email uh, from a, a firefighter up in. <clears throat> Nevada County, which is, as I mentioned earlier, just west of us in a beautiful community called Penn Valley. Just beautiful up there. Nevada County is a beautiful county, as well as Yuba County when you get up in the hills. Just really scenic, picturesque, and lakes and rivers and great hiking, clean. It's good. So he called and, or he emailed, and then we talked on the phone. He said, Lou, I think you didn't get this whole thing right with the Mary's, city of Marysville. Uh, or, or this uh, firefighters, uh, you know, or fire departments charging citizens for their services. You said you, in my, my article, and actually I wrote an article for the Territorial, and I talked about it on the radio, and I used the term double charged. And he said, actually, people don't get double charged. And I, I said, well, 
I'm not quite sure what we're going to get charged because the city of Marysville just started charging. They really didn't tell anybody how they're charging, how much they're charging. Uh, they just all of a sudden charged a guy almost $5,000 for a garage fire. <clears throat> and so we talked about that. He said, well, they're really not double charging. And I said, well, what I meant just what I meant by those words were we pay taxes and, and actually in the code uh, or the, I could say the constitution of the laws of the state of California or in the United States at one time, if people paid taxes for the property then, or people paid a variety of taxes, then it was assumed that the government services that were being given, you would not charge for those because you paid taxes to have those provided, right? And if you got charged for them after you already paid taxes to have those services provided, like police and fire, which were the original reasons to form a community and a chartered community like a county or city, the, the reason we formed them wasn't to be governed. It was to have security, protection, police and fire. So the original thought was if we pay taxes, we'll pay a certain amount of taxes and that will pay for people to be set aside to protect us protect property, protect people. So if, if all of a sudden then that, that government that we formed now wants to charge us for those services, then we have to start, well, why are we paying for those taxes? Where are those taxes going? So my point was that without any prep from the city, without any menu on what we're being charged for so we can tell whether we wanna, want that service or not, right? They just assume that we're all going to call 911 regardless, regardless what it costs. And I think, and my point to my friend in Nevada County was, I think people, once they learn how much it's going to cost, will choose on some situations to not call 911 anymore and just get over to the hospital by themselves. Marysville, if you're unfamiliar with Marysville, it's 3.5 square miles. You can almost walk to the hospital from any point in Marysville uh, if you were physically fit, right? You could get there probably within at, at most 30 minutes, but in most places, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And you could certainly drive there and just uh, uh, probably almost as fast as you can wait for emergency services to come and get you and then take you over there once you call. So, uh, but my friend up in Penn Valley said, Lou, we have a problem in some of these fire districts. We're running out of money. We're out of money. And I think we saw that recently in Sutter County Fire Department. They said, hey, we're out of money. The question, the bigger question is, everybody runs out of money, right? I've run out of money. The question is, why? That's the big question. Why are we running out of money? Because we're paying more money all the time. So, uh, and this fellow from uh, Penn Valley said that we don't pay enough money for firefighters, so firefighters can always go down the road and get a better job, right? Get more money. Maybe it's not a better unit, but they get more money because they have the training and now they leave. So they have people leaving and, and they're running out of money. So they have, to learn, they have to find new sources of revenue. One of the interesting things to me is at one time, my friends who all, about all, <clears throat> when I started in the fire department, most of my friends that I started with, they were already firefighters, <clears throat> and I was a chaplain, 
they have now become uh, retired folks. And, but they used to tell me when we'd have dinner at the fire station, we would be talking about life, uh, the history of firefighting. And they said, you know, when we started, we, we could not make enough money at this job uh, to live like we wanted to. We could have lived, but we, did, we wanted more money. So we worked 10, 24-hour shifts a month, say. And then we'd go take other, we had other jobs on the side. And we made more money. But eventually, the union, the firefighter union, was so effective of getting more and more money from the taxpayer that now uh, firefighters are making, you know, guys that are in their 20s, ladies that are in their 20s, making over $100,000 a year or $200,000. And some of the firefighters will say, well, we deserve every penny of it, right? It's always interesting when you're an employee and, and what you feel you're, you're deserving of. If you're in private business, uh, you can argue all you want, but the bottom line is that at some point the boss has to look, say, after we pay you all these wages that, of course, you're worth. Uh, is there anything left to keep the company going at the end as we pay all these people, 20, 30, 40 employees? So the, the pay, I think you can argue, of uh, firefighters and law enforcement is much different than it used to be, and now commands a huge, a huge cut of the uh, the public pie, you know, the budget. In fact, if you go, uh, I I don't know whether I have this in here, but uh, I, I I'll I'll just skip this one comment because I was going to make a comment about a, a, another situation where people that are not working in law enforcement or fire, but they're working for the government in what we call just pretty pretty basic jobs. They're important jobs, like janitorial, but they're making a lot of money, $100,000, $200,000 a year. Well, you know, that's, that's a total new wave of salaries. And so where does that come from? It doesn't come from people willingly purchasing a product, and then there's a profit to that product that then, or, or a, or a or a uh, margin to that product that can be paid out to labor. Uh, if the government runs out of money, they just simply go back and take more government, more money from the populace, right? So anyway, we had a great talk, and uh, I offered actually to to you and to Penn Valley Fire Department. I said, hey, if you guys want us to roll up there as a part of trauma intervention, we'll serve you guys, and we won't even charge you. How about that? provide you some great service up there above. That's start, Penn Valley Fire starts right up at the Yuba County line, Yuba and Nevada County line. And they serve down there to Inglebright Reservoir, Inglebright Dam, they, because the county line goes right through the middle of the water. I don't know whether you ever noticed that or not, but I, it was new to me here a couple of years ago. We went to a bad call up there. So that was one, one call I got. And uh, then I heard that one, you know, I, the, I wrote an article about the, the incredible effort after all these years, we, it just seems like nobody in the city of Marysville in government could figure out how to clean up Ellis Lake. It just seems like such a, we have all these environmental studies department all over, billions of dollars spent on water and environmental studies and we got the Department of Water Resources and we got all these regulations on wells and uh, chemicals and everything and we cannot figure out how to muck out Ellis Lake. The government can. Private industry can. 
but the government. They get in there and they just lose their mind. And so we've gone from the early 1900s when Ellis Lake, they started working on Ellis Lake, the very early years of the 1900s, and they started bringing Yuba River water into Ellis Lake to, to get it fresh and, and keep it from being a mosquito haven and an oil slick and where you were afraid to fall in as if you might get a bad disease. And so now the city council, they claim they have a plan, quote unquote, a plan. We don't know what that plan is. So when I wrote an article about it and talked about it on the radio, the, the response I got was, well, Lou Benninger doesn't know the other, the other side to the story. Well, for all you out there, uh, whether you're a friend or foe, here's my side of the story. I've lived here all my life and I've watched crazy stuff being done with Ellis Lake. I've, in fact, I've lived here uh, longer than anyone on that city council. I have more history than any other and more knowledge of the lake and studied the lake some, the history of how it all came to pass. So, uh, here's what I did on this recent issue. I saw where Bill Simmons, one of the city council members, uh, made a proposal that was an alternative to spending $600,000 to make the lake a Frankenstein lake, where, where like a big, uh, what do you call those things, uh, aquarium you put in your house, where you have a a glass box with fish and it's always so technical and you got to keep everything just balanced in the cool and the heat otherwise the fish get fish get all scum all over them and die and float around in the thing you ever had an aquarium you're a big pain in the rear and uh, but they want to have a big what they're trying to do is create an aquarium out of Ellis Lake where these big compressors pump 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 night and day and they pump this from the 25 outlets in the bottom of the lake, they're gonna pump bubbles through there and it's gonna clean up the lake and it's gonna be a magical thing and it's gonna cost us about forty to $50,000 a year to do that. And so the one city council person said, well, Lou doesn't know the whole story. Okay, well, here's the story. Here's what I did. When I heard that there was a proposal to only spend about $10,000 instead of $600,000 and bring fresh river water in from the uh, Yuba River, I talked to a number of people. I talked to a representative who was one of the, actually is the oldest and has the most experience on the Yuba County Water Agency, Charlie Matthews. And he actually pumps water for a living and he puts it on rice. And he's been on California water boards, he's hired biologists, he's hired water engineers. He's, a, he's an international businessman. I talked to him. I talked to Bill Simmons the city council member who proposed this, who was the go, who was the uh, go-to guy who cleaned out the inlet to Riverfront Park and got the uh, boat ramp, where no other city council person could pull that off. He and Chris Pedigo did it. Then I got the EKI engineering report, the same report that the city council members got to read. I read the report, right? I'm not quite sure what other side there is, unless it's just hot air side. Read the report, the same, if I was on the city council, I would have got the same report. Read the report. I looked at other figures uh, 
that told how the pump would work at the Yuba River. And the difference between Yuba River water, which was news to me, and well water, it's a big difference. Basically, the city council has poisoned the lake in, in, uh, intentionally, unless they were too stupid to figure it out. They did that by pumping groundwater into the lake. As you know, if you pump water into your swimming pool out of a well, you got to soften it because that it's full of minerals and, it, and algae loves mineral, heavy mineral water. You didn't know that maybe, did you? I didn't, I didn't know the difference. But they tell me that snow melt water doesn't have all those minerals. Did you notice when the last time you guys in Uber Sutter County, you gone up to Collins Reservoir or Inglebright Reservoir? Camp Far West Reservoir, Bullard's Bar Dam, Lake Francis, just, you know, Sly Creek Reservoir. They don't have all these bubblers and compressors running to keep them clean. They just simply have an inlet of a stream that brings snowmelt water in, and they have an outlet they call a stream, and in between is this big pond called a lake or a reservoir, and they don't seem to have to put chlorine in it or anti-algicide stuff. Like. So Bill Simmons tells me, Lou, if we have to treat that lake, if it gets out of hand, even with the bubblers, and we have to treat it just one time and dump some algicide in there, you know how much it costs? I said, Bill, I wouldn't have, it. I wouldn't have a clue. I know how to treat a swimming pool because he's take care of my folks' swimming pool. Did a pretty good job. So I know something about keeping algae out. He said it takes $20,000, and we have no budget for that. You know, it's just amazing to me. Once we got past the B Street boondoggle, where they spent millions of dollars to take a huge risk when we didn't have any money in the city, and they went out and borrowed millions and millions of dollars to buy property and get in the real estate business. Five city council members that didn't know their butt from a hole in the ground on real estate and we're not personally responsible for their decision. We can't go back and sue them and ask them to pay it. And they did not ask the voters, and we didn't get to vote on it. Just five people screwed the city of Marysville residents up for generations. A guy called me the other day, said, oh yeah, well if we sell it, you know, maybe if we cleaned up the lake and we sold it, then it would pay for the debt. I said, no, it won't pay for the debt. You can't get $17 million off five acres of Marisol property, I don't care whether the lake looks like Lake Tahoe. It ain't gonna happen, dude. And the city of Marisol now has a plan. They have a plan. What, to bury us more in debt? $600,000 fiasco? They say, oh, the, you, the, the, the water agency is gonna rescue us. You know something, I, I'm thankful for the water agency. My cousin actually was on the board of the water agency or on the board of supervisors when they made the decision to launch Bullard's Bar Dam effort. So I know a little bit about it. I am not an expert, but I do know a little bit. And I know some of the people that were, uh, I was in high school when they actually built that. Some of my friends worked on prepping that, that all that area and doing the surveying for that dam. I'm, a, I'm, I'm aware of it. 
And I'm thankful that 50 years since the dam's been built, we now have a, a huge cash flow coming into the, the, uh, the county. God bless us. Thank you, Jesus. But that still doesn't mean we should just willy-nilly waste money. And I hope, you know, now they've formed an ad hoc committee over there at the city of Marysville. They say it's going to have two members of the city council and two members of the, Cal of the uh, Yuba County Water Agency, or the, they like to be called the Yuba Water Agency now. So they have two members of each. My prayer, right, my desire is that they not waste our, our money, right? that they come up with a reasonable solution, not to bless EKI Engineering, who is their primary interest is to make money from this. Not, not to, uh, you know, what I like is, is, I'm not saying they should be nonprofit, but I like to see people that aren't gonna get any money out of this, I wanna get their input, right? All they want is a clean lake. And, and so I want somebody to tell me which lakes in America are using 25 or 30 or 40 of these percolators at the bottom and why, and why we can't just go with clean water and drain the lake, get all the crap out of the bottom, all the litter, all the refuse, get the fish out, and, and just scrape the bottom and do any repairs along the cobble, and then boom, fill it up. It takes 11 days to fill it up. City Council, I the information I gave in that article, I don't even think the City Council knew that information. And the other thing that I learned that I was shocked at after I wrote the article is that the reason that EKI discounted the idea of pumping water out of the Uber River, they sat around and figured out all the costs that they could stack up to make that not a really good choice. They came up with a $1.1 million cost that was going to cost to pump out of the Uber River once you pay off all the permit people and the government and all that. And Mr. Matthews and Dale, some city council member, oh, Lou Bennett just talking, just talking to uh, ex-councilman Whitmore. I haven't talked to Dale Whitmore. I haven't talked to Dale Whitmore about that at all. I, I you know, he had... You know, to me, I always like to, I, I love city council people put up their own money. Dale Whitmore was willing to put up $1,500 with Charlie Matthews, $1,000 to test the pump and pump fresh water in the lake, see how it worked for September. I'd like to see some of these city council and uh, supervisors put some money where their mouth is. Be, be a refreshing change. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take another break. This is a finish of finishing our second uh, session of twenty minutes each about of six. So I got that John Stossel clip here about letting people leave if they don't like the way things are and starting like in other words taking like a state of Jefferson. He he discusses the whole philosophy of letting people break off and doing it their way. So we'll be right back. <laughs> People want to govern themselves. In this part of Spain called Catalonia, lots of people want to secede from the rest of Spain. 
where lawmakers in Catalonia declared independence. The vast majority of Catalonians who voted in this referendum supported that. But Spanish authorities didn't even want them to vote. The Spanish government deployed thousands of police to stop the independence referendum. They assaulted polling stations. They beat senior citizens and young people. They just wanted to vote. Michael Strong says parts of countries should be allowed to secede. For years, he's negotiated with officials in Honduras, trying to establish free zones where taxes would be low and rules simple. Five years ago, he told me, we're close to a deal. So, you suckered me years ago. This was about to happen in Honduras. It happens at the pace of government, and the pace of government is slow. We've got good news, but until it's done, it's not done. This is a drawing of what a free zone might look like if it's approved. It would show the world and the rest of Honduras that with simple rules and low taxes, people could prosper the way they've prospered in places like Hong Kong and Singapore. Hong Kong and Singapore were two of the poorest jurisdictions in the world in 1916. Now they're two of the richest. One of the most exciting places in the world, Hong Kong. They prospered because they were able to govern themselves and ignore burdensome rules imposed by their parent country. However, most people around the world are not free to try those experiments. Most of the world's seven billion human beings are stuck in nation states that are de facto prisons. We need to allow for a lot more bits of good government to pop up and to liberate all of these billions of people from terrible governments. These Kurdish people want independence from Iraq. For years, they were persecuted by other ethnic groups and most recently by ISIS. In response, the Kurds formed their own army defended their territory and then helped drive ISIS out of Iraq. Now the Kurds want to secede from Iraq, but no other government will support them. The United States says it would disrupt the region. Most leaders are afraid they'd have secession movements all over the place. And, in and fact, they might. And they might. Some left-wing Californians hate Donald Trump so much, they want California to secede from the United States. Their campaign videos show their naive goals. California can be silly and stupid, but we need lots of experiments. In, it's funny, in the world of science, we believe in freedom to experiment. Now we need to go to the world of government and believe in freedom to experiment. If California was independent and had to compete with the rest of the United States, it would have to up his, its game. And conversely, the U.S. might have to up its game. Cultural wars are bitter and vicious, and if Alabama wants to do Alabama's culture and San Francisco wants to do San Francisco's culture, I say let them go their own direction. Let people be. Let people be. What a concept. You don't even have to try. It comes easy. Enjoyed here, uh, not this this last break, but the previous break, the uh, American View uh, clip from the Macaulay family. I wanted to mention three different uh, groups where you can get 
easy access to education on the Constitution. You think, oh, wow, well, I, got, I got one of those little Constitution booklets and up on my shelf, but I, I'm just such a bad reader. I, I get, you know, I get bored. Honestly, just forget about it. Just sit it on your lap, get a cup of coffee, and go to these sites, and, and you can get educated. I just went to, uh, I'm going to give you the sites, and I'll tell you something about it. Uh, one is instituteontheconstitution.com. Institute on the Constitution. That's the Macaulay family, Jake and his family. Jake and his boys, I should say. And uh, they, they also put out some clips called The American View, theamericanview.com. We're going to be playing those every week, one of those probably each week. Uh, theamericanview.com. The other person, uh, Jake McCauley, by the way, has been to town here a couple different times, spoken out at Glad Tidings, done seminars, just great guy, great speaker, very clear. Uh, the other person who's done the same is Chris Ann Hall, chrisannhall.com. She has what we call Liberty University. These are all online uh, teaching venues. Chris Ann Hall, that's K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E Hall, H-A-L, all L L, all one word. Chris and H A L L Hall. dot com. Chris Ann Hall is great. She used to be one of the state attorneys for the uh, state uh, state of Florida. She fell out of favor because she was speaking a lot at tea parties, and they said, "Hey, either knock that off, or uh, quit, and uh, we're going to fire you." And so she quit. And now she speaks full-time on the Constitution and does a lot of... She, both Macaulay and Chris Ann Hall are, are applying the Constitution to daily events, weekly events in the United States. So you can really see, okay, this was this right or was this wrong what the politicians did? And they will dial it into the Constitution. Not their personal opinion like, oh, I don't like that or I like that. It's like, hey, is it constitutional? You don't have to wait for the Supreme Court to get involved. The third one is Hillsdale College uh, up in Michigan. Hillsdale, I think they're about, I was watching a clip on, on uh, actually I'm doing an online course with Hillsdale right now, but I think they're like 180 years old or something like that. Amazing college. I, if I had to go to college, if I had a chance to do it all over again, I would do, I'd go to that college. It was, I'm very interested in the college. It seems like a rich educational experience, no foolishness, no baloney. No, you know, no classes on zombies or, uh, you know, how to play a video game. Hillsdale.edu, and you can get to their website. You can get online courses on the Constitution. I'm taking a course right now on the book of Genesis. Very good course. Very easy. Very, in just learn something. Boom. Learn something right away. I've been reading Genesis for years. Learn, just insight, looking at it from a different perspective. Hillsdale.edu, there's a course on Genesis, very short course, very easy. Just watch the videos online. If you want to take a quiz, you can. If you want to just watch it and that's it, you can. Very easy. It's free. They do ask you for a donation, but you don't have to give one. But I do donate to Hillsdale College. I donate to Macaulay's. I also have donated to Chris Ann Hall. They're all great. Uh, they're the kind of... They're the kind of, of uh, resource that builds a stronger America. So I'm into that. Institute on the Constitution.com, ChrisAnnHall.com, and Hillsdale EDU. Okay, there's that little deal. Also want to thank uh, today, before we go any farther, I got three sponsors to talk about today that 
actually pay the expenses to run this, uh, pay not all of them, but uh, pay a good portion of expenses to keep us on the air here. And that's uh, technology and equipment and websites and uh, podcast rent and all that kind of stuff. We're, we're uh, pretty lean and mean. We don't have a lot of costs, but we do have some costs. And these guys want the podcast to continue. So we used to be on the radio. They used to help us there. And then when we switched to podcasts, they've continued. And that's Elite Universal Security. They're located here in Yuba County, but they're operating all over the North State. From Sacramento all the way north to the, even up into the Oregon, South Oregon area across the border. Elite Universal Security provides all kinds of protection, training, hiring. They're looking for guards all the time. They're looking for guards all the way up and down the state, the North State. Uh, guards that are armed, guards that aren't armed. They just need some help. And they said, Lou, business is booming. There's lots of needs. There's lots of, with the new political uh, laxity on managing people that are uh, misbehaving, homeless, squatting, stealing, trashing parts of our community, trashing businesses. Their uh, their people are looking to private security versus the police because the police are not providing that service because the politicians who pay the bills and can fire them are telling them to stand down. It's very frustrating for law enforcement. And uh, so they they need part-time officers, they need full-time officers, Butte County, Yuba County, Sutter County, Sacramento County, up towards the north, Sierra County, Shasta County, all, all the way up and down. So wherever you're catching this, up and down California, you can get a job with them. And uh, if you need some help with your business or stuff keeps getting stolen or vandalized, you can dial them up. Uh, you can go to EliteUniversalSecurity.com or you can dial them at 530-749-0280. 749-0280. And you can call them 24 hours a day. You can go on to API-Academy.com, API-Academy.com, and you can look at all their schooling that they offer their schedule of schooling. They have uh, some, if you want to get your concealed weapons permit for the first time or renewed, you can do that. Uh, they, they Actually, they have one going on this weekend, but you're obviously too late for that, but they're having another one on September 28th and 29th, and you can jump in on that and get the classroom and the range and all that kind of stuff. So go get it and uh, and uh, we thank Monty Hecker and Mike Hahn and all those people for supporting us. It makes a big difference for us. Okay, so we'll get back to business here. And, and uh, I wanted to read you something. Maybe you've never heard of this guy. Uh, but uh, I, I had heard his name, Antonio Gramsci, G-R-A-M-S-K. SCI, Gramsci, he's Italian, and uh, he became a communist. And you can read a very long article. I won't get into it because I don't want to take that much time. It's called Gramsci's Grand Plan. It's a very good article, very thorough, written by a guy named James Thornton. 
You can look up on the internet, written on July 5th, 1999. July 5th, 1999, James Thornton, Gramsci's Grand Plan. Let me just read you a, a, a segment uh, out of his Grand Plan and a, a clip out of another article because it's what's happening today in our country in, and it's happening uh, small increments at a time uh, because if somebody wanted to attack the country, like in 9-11, September 1, 9, uh, the 9-11 incident, uh, or uh, not September 1, but September 11, 2001, if somebody attacked, we, we get that, right? That's a problem. But slow changes throw people, particularly if they do not understand the Constitution, they haven't been taught the Constitution. We've gone through now numbers of generations who have not been taught the Constitution, don't understand civics, how the government works, or why America became so great in such a short time. So, um, this the title of this short clip is Free Will Slaves. Free Will Slaves. Kind of an oxymoron, right? Who wants to be a slave and do it freely or join up? So when I was in uh, college, there was a book that we read called Brave New World by a man named Aldous Huxley. It says here, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, a classic study of modern totalitarianism, contains a line that epitomizes a concept that Antonio Gramsci tried to convey to his party comrades. In other words, Gramsci believed that communism was the right way to live. Quote, a, a really efficient totalitarian state would be one in which all powerful, uh, in which the all powerful executive of political bosses and their army of managers control a population of slaves who do not have to be coerced or forced because they love their servitude. I mean, that's the ideal. You have the Bidens, the Obamas, uh, the Bernie Sanders of the world and they are the controllers, and you have all their slaves or their uh, constituents don't have to be con con uh, coerced, but they love, their ser they love to serve them even though these guys uh, live a totally different life than what they pr profess. It goes on. While it is improbable that Huxley was familiar with Gramsci's theories, the idea he conveys of free persons marching willingly into bondage is nevertheless precisely what Gramsci had in mind. You get it? That's what's happening in California, folks, and it's, and it's beginning in other parts of the country as well, but it's certainly happening here. As you go over to get your ammo because you want to take your son shooting, and they say, you don't even have a gun like that. Why do you want the ammo? We reject you. That's what's happening when you go get ammo. Gramsci, it says, believed that if communism achieved mastery of human consciousness, then labor camps and mass murder would not be necessary. What happened? Everywhere communism was successful, they had to murder millions of people. I won't go through all the countries. You can look them up. But it, it's 100% of the countries that communism took over, they had to murder tens of millions of people. They think China, 50 to 60 million right? And put people in labor camps, with, which right now the estimate of the Uyghur people from Mongolia 
who were primarily, some of them were Buddhists, some of them, uh, many of them are Muslims nowadays. They say that they have, the Chinese have a million Uyghurs in concentration camps. I want you to just think that through. Think of the city that you know has a million people, if you've ever been there, and then think all those people in a concentration camp being managed every single day and surrounded by guards with weapons and razor wire. So, Gramsci said this forcing, killing millions and putting them in camps isn't working. Uh, so he says, how does an ideology gain such mastery over patterns of thought inculcated by cultures for hundreds of years? Mastery over consciousness of the great mass of people would be attained, achieved, Gramsci contended, if communists or their sympathizers gain control of the organs of a culture or the workings of a culture. What are, who are the workings or what are the workings of a culture? Think about it. Churches, education, newspapers, magazines, electronic media, serious literature, like for instance right now you could take a English lit major in college and never read Shakespeare or any of the classics. Did you know that? You just read a bunch of mumbo jumbo of, of philosophies of today. So uh, let me go on. These are, these are aspects of a culture that, that the communists would want to take over to get their way. I'll go on. Serious literature, music, the visual arts, and so on. So when you hear music, think Hollywood, as well as other places, but also visual arts. Who do you think the ones that hate conservatives so much? These, the arts. They've been taken over. Every one of these areas, including churches, have been usurped. Their influence has been usurped. Churches, education, newspapers, magazines, electronic media, serious literature, music, visual arts. By winning a cultural hegemony, to use Gramsci's own terms, communism or the, the workings of culture, Communism would control the deepest wellsprings of human thought and imagination. Come on, baby, that's what's happening. It's controlling and influencing human thought. What are the young people in college wanting nowadays, majority of them? They want socialism when they take surveys. One need not even control all of the information itself if one can gain control over the minds that assimilate that information. If you can get control of the minds that hear it, like one person hears Donald Trump and they're happy. The other person hates him. What's that? The difference is the control of the mind that's taking in the information. Under such conditions, serious opposition disappears since men are no longer capable of grasping the arguments of Marxism's opponents. Men will indeed love their servitude and will not even realize that it is servitude. So it's interesting to me. Marysville City Council, oh, we have a plan. We're going to spend another 600 Right now they spend, I, I talked to a friend, he called me the other day, try, he was trying to look at something, some innovative way we could straighten out the city of Marysville. He's trying to be positive, trying to make a contribution. He thought we could just sell that B Street property and be out from under. I said, partner, we're going to be paying for that B Street property, 630 or $40,000 a year. 
for the rest of your life and your son's life. 25 years, partner. And uh, so now the city council, right after the city council got the 1% sales tax increase, they went out and they floated more bonds. They borrowed more money. How many of you, it's interesting, you know, you ever seen those things, they do it on TV and they say, don't try this at home. Don't try the financial management of the city of Marysville at your home. You will go broke. You will end up homeless. Why won't the city council end up homeless? Because they just come after more money. So right after they got 1% sales tax increase to raise two to four million a year more, they turned around and borrowed more money to buy 19 brand new police vehicles. Now in the history of the city of Marysville, I have never seen so many new vehicles been bought at once. 19 vehicles, why? For a city of 3.4 miles? It's unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. So uh, I remember the day when Jack in the Box, not Jack in the Box, Carl's Jr., uh, Russell Clark, the, the boss of Carl's Jr., was so concerned about the city of Marysville, he bought, he just went out and bought a police cruiser for him. Now we went out and borrowed money and borrowed 19 more. After we already are paying for the B Street property that we couldn't pay for because we were running out of money, plus, and we have our own fire department, police department. I'm wondering why we don't have an East Marysville fire department or police department and a West Marysville police department. Why don't we like carve it down and have another set of chiefs and bosses? You know, it just, you would never do this in private business, folks. You cannot, you cannot manage your private finances like they're doing at the city of Marysville and, and have your family survive. So we are going to have a Frankenstein Lake, and people, most of the people in Marysville will go along quietly into a, uh, you think, what is servitude? You mean they're going to come on and tell you what to do? No, they just take your money. They just have regulations. You got to come, you want to paint your house? You got to come over here and talk to us about it. Oh, we don't like that color. Oh, we don't want three colors on your house. Oh, well, that looks, that doesn't fit the city. Regulations, 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 right? Oh, we don't like that. Oh, you can't put a sign up over your business like that. No, that won't work. They want to run your business, but they want you to take responsibility for your business, right? You, you are going to take all the risk, all the responsibility, and the city will tell you what the, that the business is going to run like, how much you have to pay, how much insurance you have to have, you have to get building permits, you have to get all kinds of these fire inspection permits, this, that, and the other thing have the privilege of being located in the city of Marysville. It's true of most cities. It just egregious. And if you wonder why there's few businesses in the city and they moved over across the river into the county or into the city of Yuba City, that's why. It's just generation after generation of really poor choices. I told the city councilman the other day, I said, you'd be better if you have a choice to make on the city council of a critical issue, how to spend money, is you just flip a coin because you're going to get it right 50% of the time. When you're, when you're right, when you're wrong 9.9 .9 times out of 10, that's a call to curse. That is not, is not the luck of the draw, bad luck. It's a curse. You need to think that through because it doesn't matter who it seems we have on there the last 30, 40 years. They're just swinging and missing most of the time. And the city is, is taking more and more money for peop, from people and going getting and setting itself up to be broker and broker. Who's gonna run a lake with a $600,000 bill to start with and $50,000 a year, right? 
and an occasional $20,000 algae killer dump into it. It just isn't going to work, folks. It's a real lousy idea. Let me, if any city council member would say, if that's my lake, that's what I would do, I'm very interested in talking to that person because I would like them to put a bond up and pay for it and be held personally accountable for that. You know, the five city council people that got us into this B Street boondoggle mess walked away and with no personal responsibility. There wasn't one person got to vote on whether they wanted to bury the city in debt and borrow money. It's a crime. They probably are legal by doing that, but it should be a crime. It's just a, it's just a shame and a crime. All right, so we're going to have another break. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is good. If you, do you like Tulsi Gabbard? She's, a, she's the Democrat representative from Hawaii that kicked Kamala Harris's butt in the debate recently. Well, they're getting rid of her out of the debates. And uh, it's just another Democrat scam. You remember how they Bernie kept getting all, winning the, the debates? And the votes, and Hillary kept getting all the, the wins. I mean, they just totally scammed Bernie Sanders. And he went along with it, right? And now they're scamming uh, Tulsa Gabbard. So here's a little clip on that. All right. stating this, the DNC is refusing to recognize as, as valid polls that, that would qualify you for the next debate. Here's a situation. There's a whole bunch of different polls that have come out. The DNC has only recognized some of them as being qualifying polls for the debate. The whole thing gets a little bit confusing, and you've got to jump way down into the weeds of the numbers and the statistics. But I think the bigger problem is that the whole process really lacks transparency. Right. People deserve having that transparency because ultimately it's the people who will decide who our Democratic nominee will be and ultimately who our next president, commander in chief will be. And when you see that lack of transparency, it creates, you know, a lack of faith and trust in the process. And I think this also points to a bigger issue and challenge that goes beyond the DNC and party politics is the government itself. Right. You know, there's people who are increasingly losing that faith and trust in the government because they see a lack of transparency there. They see that we don't have a government that is of, by, and for the people. And really what they see is a small group of really powerful political elites, the establishment, making decisions that serve their interests and maintaining that power while the rest of us are left outside. The American people uh, are left behind. So these are the deeper-seated issues that I think it's important right. that we recognize and that, that for me as president that I would seek to change, that, that we'd actually fulfill that vision that our founders had for our country of having a government that is truly of, by, and for the people and making it so that people can trust that our leaders are listening to them and making decisions not based on partisanship, but based on serving their interests. Tuition free. Ladies and gentlemen, the candidates. Does adulthood dismay you but me and I'll pay you? You won't have to grow up, it's true. 
this money to you. Bob commuted to college for discounted knowledge. So large debts he would not accrue. Lived at home, did some chores. Now he'll also pay yours. Wait, I didn't agree. Cause I'll give all his money to you. I already paid off my loans. All this money. Now wait just one second. You will get from Bob. I lived in a basement for four years. All this money, if I get this job. My school didn't have a rock climbing wall. All your work wages risen. Your debts are forgiven. Your child care will be One free parental leave just takes one vote from me, and I'll give all this money to you. All Bob's money. Oh, give me a break. I will give to you. This is really getting ridiculous. All Bob's money. I drink tap water. If I win, it's true. You know what? I'm leaving. All Bob's money. When abortionists lose, babies win. I'm Randy Thomason with your SaveCalifornia.com Minute. After decades of killing babies in the womb with your federal tax dollars, Planned Parenthood abortionists have taken a big step to separate themselves from you. On August 19th, America's abortion giant announced that it will officially withdraw from the Title X, quote, family planning program instead of abiding by the good new Trump administration rule preventing grant recipients from referring clients for abortions. Do you understand what's going on? Planned Parenthood's rejection of federal funds demonstrates their singular mission is to slaughter innocent pre-born babies without any hurdles or ethical standards. So good riddance to them. See more at SaveCalifornia.com, fighting the good fight for your values in California. Come on now, who do you, who do you, who do you think you are? really think you're in control well I think you're crazy I think you're crazy I think you're crazy just like me have you wondered why some people want these sanctuary cities, right? Normally, it, people you know in our community, whatever community you're in, if they commit a crime, you think it's fair, I would think, for your, your fellow citizens, whether you know them or not, they're part of your city, to be arrested and uh, then pay the consequences. 
Sanctuary cities basically say a person that you that they first first of all they discount or they ignore that they that people broke the law entering the com- country illegally even though it doesn't matter where you go in the world you cannot go to very many countries uh, without permission to go there and go there properly now there are certain like we can cross into Canada pretty easy right we got that but most people in the world of the 197 different nations they cannot just come to the United States or to Canada or to any other country without some sort of a pre-existing agreement or they have to have a visa or they have to come in a certain way and if they violate that they can get arrested it isn't unique to the United States we are not hardcore we're like more generous we take more immigrants in any other country in the world in fact we may take more than all of them put together right in fact we give more money if we if we we give more aid than everybody else put together do you know that to other countries we just give money away I'm not in agreement with it. I'm just telling you what's happening. We're very generous both ways, taking people and giving money away. Why sanctuary cities? Majority of Americans actually, I don't think, realize how much power and money the Democrats make from illegal aliens uh, coming in and staying in our country, even without any voter fraud. I don't think people understand how the mechanism works in our government to see, like for instance, you think, oh, well, like if you talk about schools, well, the school doesn't like people playing hooky because then the kid isn't getting an education. That's not it at all. I mean, that's part of it. But the real reason is, the real reason they hire people to go out and get kids that aren't showing up at school is because when that kid's butt is not in the seat, they don't get a check for him. That's why they take attendance because that attendance then goes, that gets turned into dollars per person, per butt in the seat. Same thing happens where money flows, the government takes your money, the state and federal government takes your money and then it takes it and it's then people that think they're smarter than you then decides where they're gonna spend that money. It's gone way beyond taking care of police, fire, and the military. Way beyond that. Now they divvy out grants and different amounts of money depending on the needs and the people, the number of people per jurisdiction, county, state, right, city. So people created what they call sanctuary cities and states. Now, if you create that sanctuary, there's sanctuary cities in the Bible where criminals would run to to protect themselves to get their story heard. People are accused. So people flock to sanctuary cities who are in need of protection, sanctuary. Simply by including the numbers of illegals in a U.S. census, right? Remember Trump said, hey, we want to we wanna know whether people are illegal when we take the census. The, the Democrats said, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's not constitutional. We, we're going to count everybody, right? He said, no, no, no. We just want to know who our citizens are and a little bit about them. So we can, then we can apportion 
if we need a new representative in this area because it's now a booming area, lots of people, we need to increase the representation for this area. Then, but we're not going to re represent increase representation on illegal aliens, right? But the Democrats say what they're going to do with these sanctuary cities is if they add, uh, so that they will get mountains of money, more cash flow for more numbers in their jurisdiction, more people, more money. For every 770,000 illegal aliens in the Democrat-controlled area, they get a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives, a portion to that area following the census. Now, that's kind of been the basis of how seats were divided up. How did you get all these 400-some, 435, whatever it is, House of Representatives, right? Senates, the Senate is broken up by two representatives per state, but the House is by population. Well, where is the budgets created? Where's the budget created? where they decide who gets what money. It's in the House. After the U.S. Census uh, is performed once every 10 years, the 435 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives are divided by state population. So some, some areas lose represent, representation, some areas gain. So the last, <clears throat> the last division uh, ended up with uh, one seat covered, uh, represented about 770,000 people. So let's say California has about 4 million non-citizens, illegal aliens. That means that five of their seats in the U.S. Congress are due to people who are not Americans being counted in the census. It includes, it increases five seats. And those, uh, well, I won't get into the voting, but imagine by the next census in 2020, right? We're almost there that there are 10 million non-citizens living in the California by then, because there's almost 40 million people now, right? 35 to 40. That would mean California would get an additional 10 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives due to non-citizens. So there's no way, because, because non-citizens tend to vote Democratic because they learn quickly that there's a handout uh, they get free, 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 free. There's people in Yuba County Jail right now that are not locked up there for a crime they committed, but they're locked up there because they're fighting a deportation case because they committed a crime elsewhere, did the time elsewhere, then were transferred here to hold them till they win or lose their deportation case. Because if you're not a full-fledged citizen of the United States and you're here for any, any reason, student visa, work visa, whatever, or no visa, if you commit a crime, then the, the state or the United States determines whether they're going to exit you out of the United States. You don't have a right to be here just because you were here on a visa once you commit a crime. There are people that have been there for two and three years in the Yuba County Jail, not because they have to. They could walk out any day they want by signing a document saying, deport me, I'm ready. Take me back to my home country. Happens all the time. We fly them back to China, fly them back to Honduras. And so why, why would they suffer and sacrifice of living with all these other human beings in close quarters uh, for years? Because that's how valuable winning the entitlement lottery is in California, right? Or in the United States. Free education, free healthcare, free housing. You, don't, you can have a baby, you don't even need to feed it. WIC will feed it. Women's and in, when, women and infant care, right? Wick.
It's just on and on and on. Free, 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 free. So that's what's happening with sanctuary cities. It has nothing to do with feeling sorry for immigrants. It has everything to do with power and controlling money and power and controlling the government. That's Democrats, right? And continuing to influence them to uh, vote Democrat. So let's see. I'm, I am just cherry-picking my spots here today because uh, there's just so much going on. And uh, so I want to... I was going to talk a little bit about Burning Man, but I think I'll push it to the next show because it's not timely. Uh, it's not time-sensitive. And uh, it's so fascinating what's going on in Burning Man. I've never been there, but I've been reading some about it. And and my main interest is what the federal government has to do with it, you know, and and the uh, who really owns that property. It's a fascinating deal that they have it on. So uh, let's see. I want to get down here. I want to talk about the war on cars in uh, in California. Let's see if I can find it here. I'm almost there. So. You, you might think that all these decisions about pollution, tax the gas, higher DMV fees are just about, we, we're just running out of money. The fact is California, the revenues coming into California continue to increase. And, and so the increases in taxes and the increases in fees on, that have to do with gas and oil and cars have only one thing to do, and that is to eventually, to they, if they did it all at once and just said, we're banning all the vehicles, uh, they'd have a revolution in California. But just like, as Gramsci knew, if you do things subtly and slowly, people will enter servitude without a whimper. And so California has been engaged in a war on cars and they don't care you think oh see you think practically you think well that's inefficient we they can't build a train from here to there i i can't use that train it will benefit me how, how i live out in a rural area how's how i can't do without a car even people in the urban areas many urban areas aren't urban enough like in hong kong where you can just where there's access to mass transit at every corner, it's it's very efficient and very clean and very well run. American mass transit is horrible. BART is horrible. If you've ridden BART, it is inefficient. It's all run by unions. It's a total mess. So anyway, uh, Steve Greenhut, who is a very good writer, and his articles pop up a lot of different places, but he wrote this article, California's War on Cars. You can look it up. Uh, August 22, 2019, um, in the American Spectator. Now the American Spectator, I notice, is starting to charge you to go on their website and actually look at articles. You have to become a member or something. So that's kind of goof. But this popped up elsewhere. So he says, on, our, on a trip back from the rugged Mendocino coast, I think he lives in Sacramento, so we were fortunate enough to reach California State Route 37, which meanders along the north side of the San Pablo Bay, from Marin County. I've, I've driven this exact route. I know exactly what he's talking about. So he's going from the coast and he's going on 37 to, to connect with 80 and go up to Sacramento. And that intersection is right at Vallejo. 
And he said, I'm trying to get there before the serious Bay Area rush traffic kicks in. And I mean the Bay Area rush traffic. When I get caught in it, which is a few times a year, because I have to come from San Francisco Airport, coming back from Asia, it's gnarly. And you just got to decide, I'm gonna, it's going to take twice as long. If you take three hours to drive to Marysville from San Francisco, or two and a half, it's going to take five or six hours. That's just the way it is. It, it doesn't have to be that way, but it's the politicians, the liberals of California just say, screw you, we're going to make it as difficult as possible so you'll, you'll just give up your car, right? So the state, uh, he said, Green had said it was a miserable drive nonetheless and one that is emblematic of the state's transportation crisis. He puts crisis in quotes because a crisis, sometimes we think of a crisis as a, is a act of God, like a hurricane or a flood or something. These are manufactured, man-made crises. He says the state had planned to turn the mostly two-lane road, this is State Route 37, into a freeway since the 1950s. Now, if this was in Asia, and they decided in 1950s to turn that into a freeway, they would have done it in the 1950s. It would be done. But concerns about surrounding swampland and costs have left it as is. So we're talking about 70 years later. The road is best known as Blood Alley because of the large number of traffic fatalities on the route. So you can see that politicians care nothing about lives lost. They don't care anything about pollution because when you're sitting on a freeway, six lane freeways in LA, and you're sitting there for an hour, don't talk to me about pollution because if you could have gone down that freeway and got there in 15 minutes and you spend an hour or two more each day on the freeway idling, don't talk to me about pollution problems. They don't care about pollution problems. This is about, they don't want people driving vehicles. It's about rewilding the, the wilderness and stacking, packing people in, in uh, urban areas and getting them off the land. So this is Blood Alley because of a large number of fatalities. The scenery is lovely, but a sensible government would find an environmentally friendly way to expand the road capacity and protect human life, da da da. There's nothing but open space on both sides of the roadway, right? You're not having to remove anything. Greenhut says California government is driven by an environmental concerns, so good sense always flies out the window. Uh, so that I, I don't know whether Green Hat wrote this article. He says, "Can California put cars in the rearview mirror?" So in 2001, Gray Davis cut the cut the ribbon for a long planned stretch of new high freeway linking San Gabriel Valley to San Bernardino. Desperately needed connector for fast growing in, inland regions, as the Los Angeles Times reported at the time. The opening of that segment of the Foothill Freeway marks, quote, a construction milestone on probably the last, think of this now, the last major urban freeway in California's foreseeable future. This was in 2001. State officials seem proud that, quote, the era of massive freeway construction in California will be dead. That's the state saying that. State officials. The era of massive freeway construction 
They, they want to remove freeways, not add them. Nearly 19 years later, we see the fruits of the public policy decision. Traffic has long been horrific throughout California. Now, up in Northern California, we don't notice it as much, but when you get into Sacramento and below, it's gnarly. In the LA Basin and Bay Area, particularly, but like every bad thing in this state, it just keeps getting worse. The 2018 INRIX Global Traffic Scorecard tops the ranking of most congested cities with drivers spending an average of 104 hours stuck in gridlock per year. Other California cities made the ranks of 50 most congested cities in the, not the United States, the entire globe. Other California cities made the ranks of the 50 most congested cities around the entire earth. When you think that our government isn't totally screwed in California, you think there isn't an agenda to destroy the transportation system in California? If you think these individual decisions are just idiosyncrasies, you've lost your mind. You just don't get it. You're not paying attention. Greenhut says the obvious solution is to build more roads. Even though we have this thing, but he said the problem is we have this thing called the California Environmental Quality Act called CEQA. Now, if you know anything about CEQA, it, there's exemptions for CEQA, but they only get done by powerful liberals who just tell the CEQA people to stand down and we're going to do this, right? But the CEQA costs, uh, it takes decades and millions of dollars to get through, through CEQA. But like I said, there's exemptions. Like they waived CEQA, like the, the new casino out here. They did not have to comply with CEQA. They just got by. And NEPA and all these different acronyms, they just got to skip it, right? Because they're on the reservation. He said, even when the state boosts taxes, you need to pay attention to this, Green Hut says, even like we just had prop, uh, SB1, right? 54 billion in new road taxes in DMV fees. They use the money in screwy ways. How do they use it? You think, oh, they're going to, I see some roads being built. Yeah, there are roads being built, but very little of the money went to roads. We're on a road diet. The money goes into bike trails. In fact, some areas, they're reducing traffic lanes in key choke points to purposely increase congestion and slow us down. Did you know that? Even after raising all this money, they purposely are reducing lanes in certain areas to make it more miserable. You know what they, but they say, oh, well, it's going to make it safer. I don't know when the last time you rode a horse. I'm not anti-horse. My friends ride horses. But we've been out on some trauma intervention calls where people got killed on a horse. But we haven't eliminated horses. Bicycles, people got, lots of people get killed on bicycles. Did you know that? The problem is you can't mix bicycles and cars. And so the solution in California is remove the cars and replace them with bicycles. I want you to think about your lifestyle in Northern California. How's that working for you? You thought about eliminating that $10,000, $20,000 car and just going bicycle only and take an Uber or a bus or a plane 
and skipping your personal car. That gets a little gnarly up here in Northern California when you're like wanting to drive over to Fort Bragg from the, when it's 105 here and it's Fort Bragg 65. It just is crazy. We're being ruled by a bunch of lunatics and many of you are actually voting for them year after year. I want to, we're going to uh, play a clip here that's been around for a number of years. You probably haven't heard it. I've listened to it a number of times and laughed. So I'm going to give you a little laugh with uh, Jay Leno interviewing people uh, regarding a citizenship test. See how good you do. Debbie, where are you from? South, South San Francisco. South San Francisco. And you're a citizen of the United States? I sure am. Born here? Sure, sure was. What country did we fight in the Revolutionary War? France. Mm. What does the Emancipation Proclamation mean? What did it do? The Emancipation Approximation? No, the Emancipation <laughs> Proclamation. What did it do? I don't know. You've heard of it? I have heard of it. Uh, freed the slaves. It did, yes, that's what it did. If the President and the Vice President died, who would then become President? The Secretary of State. No. Yeah. No? Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, no. <laughs> Jacob, what do you do? I work in the uh, financial services industry. Financial services yes. industry. United States citizen, are you? Uh, yes, sir. And what month do we vote for president? Um, it's in the fall. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, October? September? Yeah. You work in the financial? I guess you're so busy with the finance. Yeah, I'm really busy working. Okay. And what special group advises the president? Special group. Um, he meets with these people. He meets, yes, he does. Uh, special group, his inner, um, inner group. Uh, Immigration, <laughs> yeah. you want to take this man away, please? Uh, <laughs> Linda, what do you do? I'm a school teacher at Orange Center Elementary in Fresno, Perfect. California. And you're a citizen of the United States, Yes, correct? I am. When was the Declaration of Independence adopted? Still awake? Yes. <laughs> Who said, give me liberty or, or give, give me, me death? Oh, that was a very dramatic portrayal. Of, oh, I like the hand. Because I'm not good with names, only my own and my students. Okay, well, well you should, but, but that's, you can, now if you, if a student said that to you, I'm not good with names, you would give them an F. Now, come on. Um, Who said, give me liberty or give me death? I'll give you a hand. Bonaparte? Yes. Bonaparte? He's not even American. Oh. Where are you from? Uh, I'm originally from Louisiana, but I live in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Were you born in Louisiana? No, I was born in Vietnam. Oh, okay. But you're now a citizen of the United States? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, did you have to take the test, or were you a citizen as a child? Uh, I had to take the test. I had to take the test. Mm -hmm. What is the uh, judicial branch of the government? Uh, judicial branch of the government. Ooh, I don't know. I don't remember. 
Uh, can you help me out? The Supreme Court. The Supreme Court. Who elects Congress? Uh, the Congress. The President. How many branches are there in our government? Three. Three. What are they? The judicial, the legislative, mm -hmm. and the... I don't remember the third one. Hmm. Hello, <laughs> Vietnam! <laughs> Who said, give me liberty or give me death? Hmm. Patrick. Patrick. Hen... Cock? Patrick Hancock. No, no. Name the Vice President of the United States. <laughs> um, I don't know. Hey, give me a first name, I'll get it. Dick. <laughs> no idea. Okay. How many stars on the flag? 32. There's a flag right up there. See that one? Mm -hmm. How many stars on that flag? It's moving too fast to count them. <laughs> it's moving too fast to count them. 32, I guess. Please don't bother trying to find her. She's not there. Well, let me tell you about the way she looked, the way she acted, the color of her hair. Her voice was soft and cool. Her eyes were clear and bright, but she's not there. All right, so back to CARB. This is the Air Resources Board that isn't even controlled by your representative that you vote into office. They're on their own. Did you know that they're actually setting a date where they'll end uh, the sale of any new gas-powered cars in California? You can't sell a gas-powered car in California. They say they're going to set the date at 2040. I'm going to be long gone by then, but... Uh, you're not going to be able to wait till 2040 to fight this. So, but before that, even if they eliminate the sale, it's going to be very expensive and very uh, egregious to be able to take to operate a fossil fuel vehicle back at, in those days. And the problem is that there isn't any good alternative yet, right? Electric cars are not going to fit the bill. Maybe hydrogen cars will be. I hear good things about hydrogen cars, but it takes a whole infrastructure, right? You don't have gas stations. You'd have to have hydrogen stations, and you have to have... I, I, I talked to a friend who uh, I met who had an electric car, and he liked it, but he said it was a big pain because you can't just fill it up. Boom. 50, you know, how long does it take to fill up your car? Like five minutes? Ten minutes? He said, you have to wait half hour, hour, two hours to get your car. He said, if it gets low and you just got to stop and you're not at work, inside working, you got to wait. You just got to go find something to do. Go to a mall, right? Let your car juice up. So it's interesting here. Um, every problem in the state of California has been created by politicians. I want you to think about it. The whole, the whole gas crisis. We have more oil than many Middle East countries have in California, but they banned the, the, any more extraction of that. They're wanting to ban the hauling of, of fossil fuels. They're wanting to ban uh, 
any expansion of exploration. It's banned, right? So when you think of other, other problems like homelessness, right? Traffic, homelessness totally call, caused by government. Absolutely 100% caused by government. Uh, housing, affordabil housing affordability. You talk to any contractor, I don't care what persuasion they are, and you say, how come you can't build new houses or new apartments? They'll say, the, the regulations, they have to be green, uh, green energy, they have to be all solar, uh, many of them have to be sprinklered, it just, it's cost prohibitive. People will, we can't rent an apartment for a reasonable amount of money and make a profit after all the money we put in. We have to get through the CEQA regulations. We have to, all the regulations. Uh, and some cities just simply say, we don't want any of those. So they actually make an ordinance we can't have any of those, right? So the housing, lack of affordability, homelessness, and congestion, all simple as all. The lack of water, we have more water come on California, even though it's considered a desert because of the many months, most of the months, we don't have any water coming down, but we have such a gush of water during the winter. We just simply don't store it. It's kind of like saying to my construction friends who make a lot of money in the dry weather. They make good money and a lot of money. They work a lot of overtime. But as soon as the weather gets bad, if they didn't set any of that money aside, they're stupid, right? If they lived, if they lived famously during the big money months and they didn't save any, then in the low money months, they couldn't make their house payment. That's the kind of operation that the California is doing with water. They let all that water, just all that wonderful water just go down to the ocean. Instead of storing it and using it, then set it down to the ocean because all the water ends up being recycled, right? Through nature, evaporation, rain, right? Comes back, goes back to the ocean. It just is a cycle. But they don't want to do that here, and it's destroying. It's destroying our country. And and you gotta you gotta understand the war. They ultimately want to tell you where you have to live. It's stack and pack housing. I remember. Uh, one of the supervisors, when John Nicoletti was on the Board of Supervisors, told me about John Nicoletti going to one of these smart growth seminars, which is just simply, it's a socialism or totalitarianism. And how they wanted to remove people off, off their property, whatever, wherever they wanted to live, and move them to the city and let uh, our rural areas become unmanaged areas, which we now have all these horrific fires. And John Nicoletti came back supposedly with a PowerPoint, which I never got to see, explaining how this all was going to work and how wonderful it would be in the future and how we needed to support it because he said the only way we're going to get grants or money is if we comply with all these smart growth initiatives. And so instead of a representative representing me that would say to hell with that money, and I want freedom and I want liberty and I want to build a house wherever I want to build a house and I want to live where I want to live. I do not want to live stack and pack housing. If 
like particularly in rural, people live in rural California because they want to be here. In fact, many Southern California people, they decide, I don't want to live in Southern California or the Bay Area anymore. I want to live up here. And you find them living up in Browns Valley, Oregon House. They, they, they say, I want something different. The way the government's going, they're going to say, no, you can't do that. They're not going to let, you can't live up there. You can't get a permit to live up there. And so through the little pieces of paper and little little policies, policies and paper, they prevent you to have from freedom. They take away your freedom. One policy, one piece of paper, a couple pennies at a time. Oh, we're just going to raise 1%. It's just one, the appeal number. Oh, it's just one penny per dollar. One penny. Penny at a time, paper at a time, policy at a time. That's the way it is. The CARB people, they that there's not going to be a vote in the legislature about removing fossil fuel cars. It's just going to be a handful of people who are radicals. So, um, he says... Greenhut said, it doesn't take much research to see how disastrously, disastrously these government-provided union-controlled transportation systems are run. One need only to, to Google BART and scandal to get a sense of misery involved in writing that system. Of course, it's a great place to work. One janitor reportedly earned $270,000, including benefits and overtime, working for BART, a janitor. Despite a growing pot, and then people say, I don't know how come we're running out of money. How come we have to raise the BART rates? I think the last time I wrote it, I rode round trip to San Francisco from East Bay. It cost me $8, right? I don't know, is it up to 12 or 16 now? One janitor. You know, my firefighter friend from Penn Valley. At, at some point, you know, it's like $270,000 for a janitor, right? How much should a firefighter get? I don't know. They might say as much as we can. That's what the union would say, right? But at some point you say, hey, where do these taxes end, right? A janitor, right? Despite a growing population and booming economy in California, the number of trips taken on Los Angeles County's bus and rail network last year fell to the lowest level in a decade. And the, and the state is booming and growing in population. How come it would fall? Because people don't want to ride the damn thing. It's a horrible thing, right? It, it isn't like Hong Kong bus system. Anyone who's taken these systems understand why transit ridership is falling nationwide. Here in Sacramento, we refer to the slow and unpleasant light rail as the bum train. Are they suggesting bums ride it? Maybe. I remember when I got on the New York subway, I, we, we took a team back there to Queens, uh, and uh, we were going to do some urban ministry back there and working with homeless people. And we got on the train. One of the guys said, hey, you want to go over to Harlem from Queens, get on the subway, right, and go on, on Sunday morning. There's a great church over there. And he said, you'll enjoy going to this church. I said, oh, I'm off with that. Let's go. So we got on the train in the morning and and. There are heroin addicts riding the train. They just stayed on the train. They were just because they were nodding out, right? They didn't have any energy uh, to get anywhere else. <clears throat> so uh, they were just nodding out. 
So that's what that's what Green Hut is talking about, the bum train, right? Said so this is how government works and how California's government works the most. They provide crummy public services instead of fixing the problems that they created. Officials spend their time punishing us for relying on private alternatives like the Yuba River water coming into the lake and then going out to the Feather River. Private solutions to screwed up government disasters. You know what's going to happen? The city council is going to vote to put in those, those percolators. And then as this city council leaves and a new city council comes, they will blame this city council on making all the stupid decisions. It's not our fault. Just like the city council today looks back and says, it's not our fault of B Street Boondoggle. We just, had, we, we just got the program, we just got the problem handed to us. They just keep passing. It's the same thing with, this, with the uh, pensions. They just keep passing the buck. Oh, well, that's not our fault. We didn't make that decision. That's before I was on the board. But now we've got a plan. We've got a plan to make this lake. California lawmakers couldn't fix the congestion issue even if that was the goal. You get it? They can't even fix stuff when it's the goal. I remember when Dale Whitmore, biologist, came on to the city council. He said, God, I'm going to clean up this lake. I thought, Dale, for goodness sakes, you've, you worked with the Fish and Game Department. You're a biologist. Don't you have connections? Talk to the University of California, Davis, and get their environmental group down here to clean it up. Fig figure it out, Dale. You're a biologist, my God. And we have just local farmers that said, this is a no-brainer, dude. This, you do not need to have a college-educated person to figure this out. California lawmakers, Green Hut says, couldn't fix the congestion issue even if it was their goal. The problem is, folks, you think it's their goal. They can't figure it out or get the money for it. They don't want it to happen. They're just taking money, putting a carrot out there for you, and then they, when you think you can get a bite off that carrot, you think, nah, next time. We're just going to have to get more money from you. We have another $147 million we need from you. Even if it was their goal, they couldn't pull it off. They spend their time punishing us for relying on private alternatives. California lawmakers couldn't fix the congestion situation if it was their goal. Worse yet, they use their own failings to justify the real goal, getting us out of our cars and into their lousy transit systems. These people are perverted and they suck. Get, when you get that through your head, then you will start seeing clearly, my friends. Green Hut says they won't succeed, but they have an infinite capacity to make us miserable, taking our money in the process. That's what's going on in California. And I, it's not just going on at the state legislature, folks. It's going on in our counties, and it's going on in our cities. And you know their excuses. Everybody blames each other. Oh, they take our money. Oh, they won't let us do that. Oh, we can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do this. We can't do Well, we not, now we made that decision, so now we can't get out of it. I can just see it now. Broke down percolators in the bottom of our lake. Abandoned. You know, when Dale Whitmore, I remember talking to Dale <coughs> one day about the lake. And he said, Lou, he said, let me tell you a story. 
He said, I, I asked the, the public works people in the city, why aren't you running the pump to pump the groundwater into the lake so we can keep it circulating and keep, keep it somewhat clean, fresh water, bring in fresh water? He said, oh, the public works people said, we, we, it, we can't afford to run the pump. Oh, really? Well, could, what could we pay? So Dale, whether he checked into it or whether he knew it, he said, well, if you run the pump in the middle of the night in the low energy cost times, you can save the city a lot of money. He said, well, we're not working at night. We just work during the day, so we go over and flick the pump on. And Dale said, well, have you ever thought of putting a timer on the pump? Now, folks, this is government. This is very fundamental uh, dysfunction of government. Nobody thinks. They just, there's some chemical that's switched on the brain when you go to work for government. The innovation and thinking of cost cutting or cost saving, it just goes out the window because nobody really talks about it or emphasizes it or wants it. I'll give you an example. So at the end of, uh, at the end of each budget, year agencies do not give their money back if they have the extra money they they look how to spend it before they run out of the budget because if they don't spend all their budget they can't ask for extra next time they say see we spent all our budget last year but we need to do more things so you need to give us more money so there's absolutely zero incentive to be efficient and effective so dale says why don't we put a timer so i guess they did and then they began to run the pump at night right so instead of no, basically what we had, just put water in a cup and let it sit there. It just, it gets funky looking, doesn't it? It evaporates and it gets funky looking, it leaves a ring, it's just a mess. You need fresh water in and water out. But Dale just found that, that, that even though the city said, oh yeah, we gotta, you, Council after council after council after council after council after council. We got to fix the lake. Oh, yeah, we got to do so. Oh, we got to do that. Lake. What, what about the lake? What about, well, what are we going to do? What are we gonna, well, let's have a little committee. Now we're at a committee, right? Because somebody suggested for $11,000, we could fix the lake instead of $60,000 start and $50,000 a year. And still no guarantee. EKI. Uh, what I would like to see is EKI Engineering take out a bond for about $5, billion, $5 million, payable to the city of Marysville, and if it fails, they have to pay the city a penalty because of their failed suggestion. I think people should be held accountable. I think city council members should be held financially responsible when the, the citizens don't vote on economic measures that are gonna, that the citizens are gonna have to pay for for years, that city council members and boards of supervisors should be held personally accountable, their assets should be held personally accountable, they should, they should be come back and they should be penalized for the decision making. It's no different than extortion or uh, stealing money. No different than that, mismanagement. Right? Mismanage the, the business, ruin the business, and then walk away from it. And many of them walk away with their retirement. Many, many, many do. They walk away, and like Robert Bindorf when he retires, 
he will walk away with three hundred thousand, two hundred and something thousand dollars a year as county administrator. He didn't give a crap. He he he'd just forget about it, right? Burying the the county in in pensions, right? Horrible, just horrible. Right now, we have a even with all the resistance and the trouble that the government is causing the oil and gas industry in California. I have friends working in the oil industry and gas industry in California, and they're supporting their families. They, they've been here, they were born here. Right now, 152,100 Californians are employed by the oil and gas industry, 152,000. The oil and gas industry and its related jobs, they create 300, almost 366,000 jobs. They bring in, they create an economic contribution to California's economy of over $152 billion, billion. 21, almost $22 billion is reinvested in local, state, and federal tax revenue to support schools, roads, public safety, and other vital resources. $12 billion is paid in wages to California oil and gas industry workers. $26 billion is paid to wages to all workers supported by the same industry. Do you think that's going to make a difference? It doesn't make a bit of difference. They will just blow that industry right off. Tell those people to go elsewhere. And they will. And they will. I meet, I meet guys flying to Asia. I've, uh, I'm flying on Cathay Pacific, one of the best airlines, maybe the best airline in the world. Flying from Louisiana. They fly from Louisiana to San Francisco, catch Cathay Pacific, fly to Vietnam, catch a helicopter, and the helicopter takes them 50 miles offshore to an oil, oil rig where they stay for 30 days, do not leave the oil rig. They have restaurant there. They have all the medical they need there. They have entertainment there. They live there for 30 days. They do not leave that oil rig. And then they, they take a helicopter back to the airport and then they fly back to San Francisco and then back to Louisiana. They see 30 days in Vietnam, 30 days home. Make quite a bit of money in the oil industry. There is no way that we're going to convert uh, to fossil to, from fossil fuel to bird blenders and solar. It will never work uh, effectively, efficiently, cost-effectively. It will never work. It's impossible. Even people like the most br brightest, the biggest financial gurus like Warren Buffett the only, only reason he in, said he invests in bird blenders is to get the tax credits, right? Rich people are smart. They invest in things that are stupid for the average man because it raises our rates. Have you noticed your PG&E rates? Phenomenal. And we're just getting started. The reason? PG&E has been forced to rely more and more on green energy, which is very, very costly. If you were in private business, and somebody says, hey, I got a windmill out here and I want to sell you power. You'd never buy his power because he couldn't afford to sell it to you at the price you could get nuclear power. For instance, if I had a nuclear power plant and I had a hydropower plant and you offered me power at such and such amount of money for a kilowatt or a therm for you know heat, gas, I would never I would never buy any solar power or wind power because it's too expensive to produce. If you sold it to me and what it costs you to produce plus your profit, I'd say nuclear's it's I, I can get all the power I want much more cheaper than that 
you keep your power and they would go out of business. Solar and wind only can stay in business by subsidies from California taxpayers and enforcing P. You, you ever wonder why PG&E is going broke? There's probably a number of reasons. But one of the big reasons is the California legislature is helping run their business. And they're telling them that they have to buy this expensive power from these alternative producers rather than buying power from like the water agency up here, right? Which is cheaper. Or nuclear. Do you know they shut down San Onofre? And they, and they uh, shut down the Diablo Canyon power, power plant. Right? They shut it down. Nuclear power is one of the cleanest, is the cleanest power on earth at this time. And some of the cheapest. Oh, well, it's going to run. All you can think of is a nuclear bomb. Oh, it's going to run every. Just show me where that's happened. I mean, with all the years ever, yeah, there's been a disaster. Bird blenders. I don't know, did you realize that we're given exemptions to uh, bird blenders to chop up hundreds of thousand dollars? hundreds of thousands of birds a year, including bald eagles. You thought, oh, I thought the Sierra Club and the Audubon Society was into birds and they're into all this green energy. No, but they're, they're into like socialism is what they're into. They, they said to hell with the birds, just chop them up, right? All right, I think I'm about out of time. I did, didn't set my timer this time, but I think we better stop and do one more session. Uh, so... I've been talking some about the pensions, so I wanted to play a clip uh, on an interview with some gurus about pensions and called the pension bomb. We'll be right back. These teachers are mad because their state wants to cut their retirement benefit. This conflict's about to hit most states. The problem is that the money hasn't been set aside for years and years and years. City Journal contributing editor Daniel DeSalvo points out that unsustainable retirement promises now total trillions of dollars. But nobody cares. Nobody was paying attention. There's very little sense of urgency. City Journal editor Steve Malanga struggles to get the media to pay attention. To a certain extent, I have sympathy with the media because basically the media is looking for, like, what happens next, right? What's Trump going to say next or what's he's going to tweet next? This is not something that's going to happen next week or next month. This is going to be a big deal. A lot of people are going to be hurt. We just don't have enough money, and the amount of money that we have to put into this is just mountainous. How did this happen? Both parties, Democrats and Republicans, have incentives to short the pension fund. For Democrats, if we can not put as much in, we can free up more money for greater public spending on public programs that we think are good. If we're Republicans, we probably want to, say, cut taxes. Both are much more popular in terms of getting reelected than putting money in a savings account. You betcha. 
Five years from now, ten years from now, they're going to have a problem. But ten years from now, somebody else is in office. The retirees, they put in their share. Where's the city share? They were promised this, and now you know you're 73 years old, uh, and all of a sudden someone's going to say, well, your monthly income is going to fall by. 10% or 50%. They can't just stiff the retirees. Well, they, they have a contract. They, they can if they go into bankruptcy. San Bernardino recently became the third California city to file bankruptcy. Several California cities have declared bankruptcy. So did Detroit. At some point, your debts are so great that you can't afford to provide basic services to people. Police force, fire protection, all of these uh, services will be on the chopping block. No justice, no peace! No justice, no peace! The problem with our pension systems isn't the system. Stephen Kreisberg of the biggest government workers union says unions didn't create this problem. Unions say, you may not cut our pensions. It's in the contract, we're entitled to this. Where's the money going to come from? Taxpayers, there isn't enough money in the world to pay your people. Well, that's not true. There's plenty of money to pay our people. Five trillion dollar unfunded liability. That's a figure that's used by some anti-pension zealots, as our president might call it. It's fake news. If we apply the standards that the federal government demands that private sector pensions use, this is the number we come up with, $5 trillion. The money isn't there, and you guys won't budge an inch. That's not true at all. I personally worked in the city of Detroit, where we budged many inches. Let me be blunt. Detroit's broke. When Detroit went bankrupt, unions did agree to reduce workers' benefits. Detroit's a case where the unions finally gave in. Because the federal bankruptcy judge uh, created a precedent that said pensions could actually be cut. That was a shock to the unions, and in some sense that's been a new and interesting precedent that's called into question these strong legal pr uh, protections that public pensions have so long enjoyed. They can't just sit back and say, well, we're going to get paid no matter what. And yet, even today, when we know pensions are underfunded, politicians still shortchange contributions. To make things even worse, some increase benefits. In California in 1999, the unions helped elect Gray Davis. Governor Davis then gave them bigger pensions. The state of California offers some of the best employment benefits, like a CalPERS retirement pension plan, the legislators were told, listen, it's not going to cost the taxpayer anything. The stock market can pay for this. That's just wishful thinking. It's irresponsible. I would say it's more than wishful thinking. It borders on criminality, frankly. If after nine years of a bull market, we haven't begun to fix this, when are we going to fix it? And the unions are not doing this. These pension plans are adopted by statute, okay? The union votes for the politicians who vote in a great pension. So you don't like democracy? Public employee unions regularly lobby and seek to elect politicians who are going to offer them better compensation packages. They've been intimately involved in the whole system from the beginning. The unions have disproportionate political power. How do we have disproportionate political power when public employees are less than 10% of the population? You get out the vote. If we were able to get out the vote so well, there'd be somebody different in the White House right now. The union says, this was a promise, a contract. You can't just take it away. The unions in the public sector have a much broader concept of what a promise is than everybody else. But it was a promise. 
No, it's not a promise. I mean, you could, that's the politicians promised it. They said, here's what you could expect. So if I go to work for a company, right, and they give me a salary, the idea that I could always expect to make that salary, that's, that five years from now, if there's a recession, that my company couldn't say to me, sorry, we're going to have to cut your salary. That's crazy. Nobody believes that. What's the solution? Reduce the level of benefits and go to individual accounts. Like 401ks, what most people in the private sector have. So instead of just a government promise, there's an actual account with money in it. I can see it. I can see how it's doing in, in the market. Unions generally oppose 401ks. However, AFSCME now does say their members may have to take a cut. That's what's happened. That's the facts, really? John. I thought that you argue we should not have to take a penny less. You argue that in courts. Well, we argue as a matter of legal right, depending upon where we are. If you've earned something, that was part of the deal. If you want to say, look, you're going to have to get a little bit less going forward, sometimes we'll fight over that. You see arguments, you see battles. There are winners and losers in every battle. Look at us, people. You could be next. Politicians and union bosses better pay attention because one day, no matter what the promise, they simply won't be able to keep it. school and college, I just couldn't seem to connect the dots on history. And I'm just a slow learner, a late developer. But once you start having convictions in life and a particular philosophy and a bent or perspective, you might ask questions, how did we end up where we are? So sometimes things happen or there's days that they celebrate in society and you wonder how'd that ever come about so we just passed Labor Day right so I want to just cover some things I'll do it really quickly I can't spend much time on it because we're in our last bit here <clears throat> but let me just give you a little history of work in the United States and how we ended up with a day called Labor Day because I've always wondered is it a day like celebrate like communism like you know like May 1 is like the May uh, work is like the day of revolution for communist workers, right? So uh, at the time uh, when U.S. was founded, most people were farmers, right? And in the first hundred years, America went from the bottom to the top in manufacturing in the, in the, in the world. But when we started, we were farmers or they worked in trades such as blacksmiths, cobblers, bakers, upholsters. Right, the basic needs, right? Then the Industrial Revolution happened, and a guy named James Watt, a Scottish guy, developed a steam engine to pump water out of coal mines because we were labor, like, mining coal because they found coal could be used like, like wood to heat things, right? Steam and water were soon harnessed in the 19th century to power pumps, railroads, ships, and factories which mass-produced products such as textiles. So the 19th century uh, was the 1800s, right? This led to the creation of factories which could mass-produce items inexpensively. Originally, in the early 19, before the early 1900s, there was no federal income tax. Hold that thought. 
The federal government was financed primarily from excise taxes on items like salt, tobacco, and liquor. Does that sound familiar? We have lots of sin taxes, we call them. And then we had things like tariff taxes. Oh, does that sound familiar with Trump and tariffs, right? We, we had tariff taxes on imports. Why did we do that? Tariffs made products imported from Europe factories. Remember, it wasn't China back then, but Europe was the big factories. We made those products more expensive, causing consumers to buy less of those products and, uh, and instead buy less expensive products made in American factories. So we gave our factories uh, an advantage by charging tariffs on the Europeans. Chinese were doing just the opposite to us, folks. Most American factories were located in the northern states. The problem was, this, this is going to be new for some of you, the tariff taxes that helped the northern states hurt the southern states, where slavery was, by the way, as the south was predominantly agricultural, had very few factories. At one point, nearly 90% of the federal budget came from tariff taxes collected at southern ports. So the southern ports were usually open and we could move a lot of freight through the southern ports but compared to the northern ports. But we were getting a lot of the tariffs that was benefiting the north. The fueled this fueled animosity between the states leading up to the Civil War. So it just wasn't about slaves altogether, but there was animosity because of where business was concentrated. After the Civil War, the North passed even more tariff taxes, which successfully allowed northern factories to have enormous growth. In other words, they were keeping goods from Europe out. Manufacturing produced items like clothes, glass, dishes, farm tools for a fraction of the previous cost. Manufacturing, right? Assembly lines, things like that. Machines freed up women from the tedious daily tasks such as hand-weaving thread, hand-sewing cloth, and hand-washing clothes. Instead of carrying water from a well, pumps and pipes now brought it directly into the home, freeing up a woman. New ways of making stronger iron and steel led to buildings of bridges, skyscrapers, steamboats, and mining machinery. Railroads began to take people safely and inexpensively, right? across the entire nation, wouldn't have to ride a horse or a buckboard, opening up unprecedented mobility and opportunity. Now our government is trying to restrict that. Railroads began, uh, oh, inventions and advances in manufacturing made more goods available at cheaper prices, resulting in Americans experiencing the fastest increase in the standard of living of any people in the world. Why is that? Private enterprise. Free enterprise, capitalism. Capitalism has lifted, there was a time in the world where most people in the world, besides a very, very small handful, were all poverty stricken. It was just hand to mouth until manufacturing, the industrial revolution, da 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 da. Women began, instead of carrying water, they could just turn on a tap or pump it. And they could get educated. They could go do something else and make a little money. So everybody benefited. As to labor, factories had a continual source. Check this out. Factories had a continual source of workers from millions of immigrants who not only got a job but learned the language and the trade skills. Why would they want to learn English language? Because that meant they could make more money and trade skills. 
President Grover Cleveland dedicated the Statue of Liberty, which was kind of iconic to all these people coming to America, millions of Americans. They just said, come on, we need you. We need that cheap labor. We, we have labor, we have, we, you can go to work here. So they came from other countries. Kind of happening now, isn't it? Statue of Liberty went up in 1886. This is interesting because this is very different from today. It says back then, immigrants were not, N-O-T not, a financial burden on the government as there was no welfare programs, no entitlement programs of any kind. You got nothing. You could go to work, you could learn English, you could learn some trade skills, but you got no help financially unless it was from your own people. Extended family members, individual charity, and churches provided the welfare net. Worked pretty good. Worked very good. Indi immigrants were anxious to assimilate and learn the English language. Today, with government handouts, screw the English language. We don't need it. Why, why wouldn't they need it? Because we don't, we don't need to assimilate. We don't need to get a job. We, don't, we can just do our own thing and speak with our own language in our own community. As an example of the ideal factory was one created by George Pullman, who founded the Pullman Railroad Sleeping Car Company just outside Chicago. George saw that workers needed a place to live, so he built them houses in, little, in a little village around the factory. To save them the hassle of making payments, rent was simply deducted from the paycheck. This started out as a good idea. In fact, when I started working in farming in the summers around here, the farmers I worked for had 400 acres of peaches and all kinds of stuff. They had little houses, and they let their workers live in them. Nowadays, ah, oh, those are taking advantage of the workers. No, they're just like saying, hey, if you want to live in a house, you can, have, you can stay there. Or you could go rent a house, right? But they stayed there, right on the property. But today, oh, you, pers you, you, you like bourgeoisie, you know, you're persecuting the proletariat, the worker. Just crazy. Workers were paid in a script similar to food stamps, which were redeemable at the company-owned grocery stores. It was thought to be a utopian workers' community and worked well for over a decade. Then a downturn in the economy happened, and uh, Pullman had to lay off people, cut wages, lay off hundreds, but, he, but the, the cost of the groceries, rent, had to stay the same price, right? He still had to pay the bills. So some of the immigrants from Europe were influenced by a guy named Karl Marx. And they, they began to think, hey, this is all about this, what Marx said. Employees were distraught as they'd grown completely dependent on the company. Like they didn't get independent. Today we talk about being independent. Take your skills and your, your assets elsewhere. If this doesn't work here, go over there and work for Brand X. Some employees walked off the job, demanded lower rents, higher pay, being unaware that the reason for the cuts was the company needed to stay in business during a national economic crash. Growing discontent was a seedbed of social co communist agenda of redistribution of wealth. I'm getting to how we ended up with Labor Day. A leader of the strikes was a guy named Eugene Debs, D-E-B-S, a high school dropout. Debs got a job cleaning grease from freight engines. He was promoted to locomotive fire, fireman and rose in the Brotherhood of Locomotive Firemen. He served briefly as in, uh, in some other jobs. 
When the nation experienced a financial crisis, Debs agitated and organized a strike of railroad workers in 1894. Soon, they were all, people were striking. There was rioting, pillaging, just like we have now. Burning of railroad cars, just like we have now, Antifa. Destroying an estimated $80 million worth of property back in the 1800s. New York Times, not so liberal then, called Debs a lawbreaker at large, an enemy of the human race. Debs' rebellion became a national issue when it interrupted the trains delivering the mail. President Cleveland declared a strike, uh, the strike a federal crime and deployed 12,000 troops to break the strike. Remember when Ronald Reagan broke the strike of the air traffic controllers in the 1970s and he just fired all of them and he hired all new people, right? More violence erupted and two men were killed. Debs was arrested for mail obstruction and put in jail for six months. I'm getting to why we have Labor Day. This is all behind it. Where he ravenously read, he studied Karl Marx, Das Kapital. Marx, uh, Marx said, conspirators by no means confine themselves to organizing the revolutionary proletariat. They, their business consists in spurring it into artificial crises. That's what we have in California. We have an artificial crisis created by our politicians. They create a crisis and then force us to change the way we live. It's happening in every state. It's happening at the federal government by the deep state. For them, the only condition required for the revolution is a sufficient organization of their own conspiracy. They are alchemists of the revolution. In 1894, there was an election year. President Globe Grover Cleveland thought, this is where politics produces stuff, uh, to try to win the day and try to concede to the enemy. President Grover Cleveland thought it would improve his chances of getting reelected if he appeased the rebel, the rebel workers with a national Labor Day. Labor Day that we just celebrated this Monday was an appeasement to communist workers. He chose the first Monday in September. Though strike organizer Eugene Debs went to prison and Grover Cleveland lost the election, Labor Day remained a national holiday. It was all just a, a deal for a guy to win an election and to try to appease a bunch of people who wanted to overthrow the United States of America. President Cleveland intentionally did not choose May 1 as Labor Day because he did not want to be in coordination with the Socialist Communist International Workers Day. So he did another day for the same reason. He also did not uh, choose May 1st as it was the anniversary of the bloody Chicago Haymarket riot where anarchist rioters blew up a pipe bomb on May 1, 19, 1886, killing seven policemen and injuring 60 others. Now pay attention to this really close. Attorney Clarence Darrow gained fame for defending Mr. Debs, the communists, and the rioters. Darrow later defended evolution in the Scopes Monkey Trial. You can see a, a movie on that. Clarence Darrow was a socialist liberal and he believed in Darwinism. Just a, It's a doctrine from hell. And he supported Debs, in other words, a totalitarian regime. The statue, pay attention, the statue commemorating the, the death of seven policemen 
and 60 damage other people. Uh, that statue dedicated to those officers that gave their lives in that revolution was blown up on October 6, 1969 by none other than Bill Ayers, militant leftist group Weatherman Underground and friend of Barack Obama who launched Barack's campaign. They blew it up during what they called the Days of Rage on October 6. They blew that statue honoring these policemen. The Haymarket statue then was rebuilt only to be blown up once again by the weathermen on October 6, 1970, one year later. Bill Ayers later launched the political career, of course I mentioned of Obama, after six months in prison, Debs founded the Social Democracy of America, Communists, 1897, and the Social Democratic Party of America, 1898, and the Socialist Party of America in 1901. Debs ran five times for U.S. president on the Socialist Party of America ticket. As he won no electoral votes, he, opposed, he was opposed to the electoral process. Now, I want you to think now, who now is opposed to the electoral process? That would be the Democrats. They want to eliminate the electoral college because he said, I could have won those elections if, if I could have got around the electoral process. There's more. So we got heirs involved, and now we got the Electoral College. We need to eliminate that. Heirs blew up the, the statue honoring the loss of those policemen. Heirs is a revolutionary and his wife. When World War I started, Debs urged resistance to the draft. One of those who followed his call to be a draft dodger was a guy named Roger Baldwin, who later founded the ACLU, to help defend those who were accused of being communist agitators. Today, the ACLU is the one that always is stopping all kinds of cases and fighting all kinds of cases in the Supreme Court. They're communists. In 1918, Debs was charged with 10 counts of sedition and sentenced to 10 years in prison. In protest of his sentence, unionists, anarchists, socialists, and communists marched in support of Debs in the May Day Parade, that's May 1, celebrating communism in Cleveland, Ohio. Predictably, the parade broke out into Antifa-style violence called the May Day Riots of 1919. Now, there's lots going on elsewhere. Right at that time, the Bolsheviks were taking over communist Russia, or taking over Russia to make it communist. When Deb's attorney asked for a presidential pardon, Woodrow Wilson, now new president, wrote, denied across the paperwork. Now, that's amazing. Woodrow Wilson was not a great president either. He says, with the flavor of American, while the flavor, flower of American youth was pouring out its blood to vindicate the cause of civilization, that would be the World War I, Debs stood behind the line sniping, attacking, and denouncing them. This man was a traitor to his country, and he will never be pardoned during my administration. The next president, Warren Harding, also did not pardon Debs, and the White House released the next statement. There is no question of his guilt, he is a dangerous man calculated to mislead the unthinking and the affording excuse for those with criminal intent. In 1979, I want you to pay attention to this, Bernie Sanders produced a documentary, documentary praising who? Eugene Debs. He hung a portrait of Debs in the City Hall of Burlington, Vermont and dedicated a plaque to him 
in his congressional office. Now these people, Bernie Sanders, when he married his wife, they honeymooned in communist Russia, Soviet Union. That place is gnarly, man. That is not, there's no Hawaii over there. There's no Bahamas in the Soviet Union. It's a gnarly operation. Vladimir Lenin organized the Bolshevik Revolution, overthrowing Russia's government. He formed uh, the Communist Internationals in 1919. Okay, that's about the same time of the May Day riots of 1919. And we have the Weatherman Underground in Bill Ayers blowing up the statue uh, of policemen that were murdered during the rebellion. Uh, the uh, they're just communist rebellions is what they are folks and all these people Roger Baldwin who defended Debs ends up being the founder of the ACLU uh, it's, it's just an amazing connection all the way down to today so you have Bill Ayers Barack Obama Bernie Sanders the Clintons on and on and on trying to create a socialist country here in the United States, a, a totalitarian regime. And the crisis, if you remember, Rahm Emanuel said, the goal is to never, I don't think I have the quote right, but never miss the opportunity in a crisis to make big gains. And that's what's going on in the country. The, the global warming crisis, climate crisis is just something that's been concocted to take millions of dollars and fund socialist efforts and to take control of the of the government and your lives and my life right take our freedoms away the pollution crisis we we are we are a cleaner country than we ever have been removing fossil fuel cars there may be a time when we don't need them anymore but to remove them like they're going to is just going to be a cramping of all our privileges and our freedom when railroads actually offered people the first opportunity they had to see the country because otherwise you would have to ride horses all the way across. That was an amazing upgrade. It was like going from uh, railroads to uh, that would still you would have to take a ship across the oceans to go visit somewhere. Now we have airlines. The, the, the communists and the total totalitarians that want to take over California don't even want us to use airliners. Airlines right now are so cheap that there's no way that the, the bullet train can compete. Do you know that? There's no way it can compete. The original projections on what it was going to cost to, to ride the bullet train, they, they can't, they realize they can't, it, not only the bullet train won't be as fast, it won't be as cheap. So uh, we're being forced by the people you're electing to do really stupid stuff. And the local, the local representatives who you know, who you, who you hang out with, you see it at dinner, who you maybe see at a bar, who you see at a fundraiser, those same people are so controlled by these policies, they do, they've already folded. I don't care whether they got an R or a D or an independent after their name. Uh, there are they're folding and they will not stand up because why because they want to be reelected it's it's all about reelection it's all about power it's all about money people say oh well we deserve the money 
They don't deserve it. Nobody deserves anything. Just remove the deserve from your vocabulary. If people want to serve, they should serve. They should volunteer. They don't deserve anything. They want to give them a little money, give them a little money. They do not deserve $80,000 a year to be a supervisor. It's just nonsense. So um, anyway, before I leave, I know I'm a little over today. I want to just give a shout out to two other sponsors. I On Facebook yesterday, I was looking at Facebook. I had a good Facebook talk I was going to give today, but I don't have time. So Facebook, Dave Greenitz showed another before and after Greenitz construction of a kitchen that's just amazing. And I thought, man, maybe I should do that to my house. Uh, but Greenitz Construction, you should go check them out. Greenitz Construction, green, E-T-Z, construction.com. And check out the before and after. If you're thinking about doing a kitchen and bath, spending ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. You know, people spend a lot of money on these things, thirty thousand dollars. If you want it done right, you just you don't want to have to redo it, right? Or get in the middle of something and end up saying, "Oh, I wish we hadn't done it this way." Do it right the first time. Get your plans done right. Get your design done right, and have the best. Put it all together. And that would be uh, my friend, right? I do have him do work for me. I've watched him over the years. He's the best, and so you can you can connect with him at. Uh, you can go to his Facebook page at Greenest Construction, Dave Greenest Construction Facebook, Dave Greenest Construction, or you can go on the website at greenestconstruction.com, or you could call him if you're if you're old school and you can still you know how to have a conversation on the phone and not have a meltdown and not have an anxiety attack. You can call 530-682-9602, 530-682-9602. In California today, it's kind of mellow outside. It's not too hot, but Every once in a while, we, we bust past 90, and you got to turn on those big air conditioning, central air. Somebody said, why don't you put in central air, Lou? I said, because I don't want to have to pay for it. It's expensive to run. I'd rather put my money into helping people overseas and stuff. But Dave can put in a whole house fan, Dave Greenitz, and it'll cut your PG&E power down, right? Suck the hot air out, pull some cool air in. The other people, I was just referring a guy to him the other day, because... He hires a lot of folks. The plumbing, Ted Holmes runs a couple businesses, Liftoff Floor Company and the Plumbing Doctor, but I promote Plumbing Doctor here. And I just saw somebody saying something online kind about them the other day, how they did a good job for them. But the Plumbing Doctor, they'll come 24 hours a day and knock out your problem. 530-671-9111. 530-671-9111, and they serve the Yuba-Sutter counties. Dave Greenitz kind of serves basically Yuba-Sutter counties. Sometimes he'll go out of town a little bit. Plumbing doctor, Yuba-Sutter counties, and uh, they'll get your job done. They they kind of bid it as a price instead of just going out there, and you, you just kind of hope they get it, and uh, pretty soon they're there for two or three days. It doesn't work that way. They give you a price. So give plumbing doctor a call. They'll solve your plumbing problems. I, got, I, I occasionally have plumbing problems and I have other problems and I have to keep this house together to live in it. 530-671-9111 is a plumbing doctor. So anyway, we'll be back next week. This is, uh, so I think that's it. I gave you my address, my phone number, uh, website address, phone number, all the stuff to get a hold of us. If you want to have any feedback, 
Go check out the Constitution. You want to get, do some online courses, Hillsdale EDU, Chris Ann Hall with Chris, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E, Hall.com, or TheAmericanView.com, or Institute on the Constitution, and you're going to learn more in a half hour. You'll get your mind blown in all these places. I'm enjoying going through the book of Genesis with Hillsdale College right now and just feel like I'm back in the classroom. All right, thank you so much for listening. And if you find somebody this week, you think, oh, I've never met you before, make sure to treat them kindly because they may be an angel and you didn't even know it. All right, catch you later. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. Someone to love, someone to love, sweetheart.